Rundown is a show where four Catholic men opine on current affairs of the world, on matters of faith, culture, and politics. It's unfiltered, it's daring, and it's certainly unapologetic. The Rundown is a weekly news show. But it's more than that. It's a family of like-minded Catholics who are preparing for the coming chastisement. You cover church news, politics, and current events around the world, linking them in a way no one else does, giving you the perspective no one else can. The Rundown is not meant for children because it informs and prepares parents, young adults, seminarians, even priests watch The Rundown to know about the most pressing and evolving threats to the Catholic faith today. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com This is your weekly Rundown Fix, one day early. Talking about lots of things tonight. President of the United States gravely is infected with COVID-1984. How did that happen? The man is double vaccinated. Hope he's okay. Government's melting down around the world, including Parliament being dissolved in Italy. Latin mass being banned in more places. Restrictions breaking tonight. We'll be the first to report it to you on YouTube. This is the rundown. Let's get going. So I drink three Dr. Peppers a day, and the doctor said, that will kill you. But about 15 years later, I had to change doctor because he'd already died, and I was still drinking three Dr. Peppers. Oh, well, Dr. Peppers, there's any in the refrigerator. At least eight times in the past million years, it has advanced and retreated with clockwork regularity. If we are unprepared for the next advance, the result could be hunger and death on a scale unprecedented in all of history. What scientists are telling us now is that the threat of an ice age is not as remote as they once thought. During the lifetime of our grandchildren, Arctic cold and perpetual snow could turn most of the inhabitable portions of our planet into a polar desert. In 1977, the worst winter in a century struck the United States. Arctic cold gripped the Midwest for weeks on end. Great blizzards paralyzed cities of the Northeast. One desperate night in Buffalo, eight people froze to death in marooned cars. Pat Bushnell was on the road that night. Traffic just absolutely stopped. I was afraid of being stuck in the car all night long with the uh, cold and the wind running out of gas. And then what? I think that if we had to go through a real bad winter, just like we just went through, I think we'd have to think about moving someplace else. Move where? The brutal Buffalo winter might become common all over the United States. Climate experts believe the next ice age is on its way. According to recent evidence, it could come sooner than anyone had expected. weather stations in the far north, temperatures have been dropping for 30 years. Sea coasts, long free of summer ice, are now blocked year-round. According to some climatologists, within a lifetime, we might be living in the next ice age. 
Of the nine planets in our solar system, only Earth has conditions favorable to human life. You want some figures? Okay, latest water test, tested the rain. 13,100 micrograms per liter of aluminum in the rain in 2013. Normally, it should be zero. So 13,100 is pretty damn much, folks. It used to be zero, then it was 100s in the 2000s, and then in, uh, since 2010, it's into the 1000s and the latest 13,100. In the snow on Mount Shasta, pristine Mount Shasta, 61,000 feet, no, excuse me, 8,000 foot level, 61,000 micrograms per liter, four times the amount that is found in the soil up there. Where in the hell is this stuff coming from if it's not coming from the soil? You know, these tests are international in scope. We're seeing this all over the world, guys. Okay, pH of acid soils is 20 times more alkaline. The aluminum in the soil has doubled in the last 10 years. Aluminum blocks essential nutrients. I am unable in my garden to restore normal pH, and that's because nanoparticles are now in the circulatory systems of both plants and humans. So welcome, fellow guinea pigs. Uh, the collapse and decrease of agriculture is something I worry about even more than the previous info about autism and Alzheimer's. Deal. <coughs> the kinds of investment that will stimulate So if, you know, if I were advising a politician, I would say the first thing I would do, like, what is America? Well, America is a physical place. No, it's not an idea. Anyone who says America is an idea, please. It's not an idea. It's a place. I live there. I don't live in an idea. I don't live theoretically. I get out of bed and there's like a ground underneath me. Here's there's the second like, thing they should do. And no one will ever do this, but I think this every day. They should care about beauty. I don't think I've ever heard a politician mention beauty. And I think about it constantly. I think about it on a couple levels. First, I think about it on a political level. So you, and I'm hardly a Bible scholar, but of course, how do you judge a tree? By its fruits, right. You don't judge it by you know, what the arborist told you it was. You wait till it produces something, and then you know what it is. Oh, those are pears. They told me it was an apple tree. Well, I guess they guessed wrong. <laughs> so the way that I judge ideas is by their fruit. And not just their ideological fruit, their physical, tangible, observable fruit, the things they make. So everything that we see around us is the product of ideas, of ideologies. That's where everything starts. In the beginning, there was the word. It starts with a word, always. And here's how we know if the ideology is a good one. Noble ideologies produce beautiful results. They produce beauty. Poisonous ideologies produce ugliness. Super simple. There's a reason the architecture in Bulgaria in 1975 was hideous. Because Sofia in 1975 was controlled by the Soviet Union. Soviet architecture was horrifying. So was architecture under Mao. They knocked down everything worth having, built during the preceding millennia. 
and they replaced it with concrete boxes. Why'd they do that? Because those boxes, those buildings, that architecture, that design, sent a very clear message, which is, you are worth nothing. There's no beauty for you. Now, why is beauty so important, and why do tyrants always destroy it? Well, they destroy it because beauty reminds you that the most important things are eternal. They're unchanging. Right there at I-25 at uh, Thornton Parkway, almost was caught by the officers. They were trying to join the highway. Goes southbound on Peoria. Here on Peoria, dives around. Look there at 64th Avenue, nearly hit some other cars. And this is where I thought he was going to get caught. He ended up in a little parking lot area here that is really a no man's land near about 69th Avenue. He decides to go up into the grass over the curb there. And he can see there's no restrictions right through the little fence and then down the embankment and on to I-76. So that's how he was able to escape the side streets and then get back up on the highway. This is where he was going on I-76 for a while, stops. This is where he carjacks that family, the, the couple. He gets uh, the driver's door open, gets the driver out. The passenger, she jumps out of the car right now and then goes to the side. And this is when he has that gold uh, minivan and then drives away, back going the wrong way on I-76, nearly hitting, look at that, semis, police officers. They try to get the stop sticks out and throw it across the highway. But unfortunately, they missed, and he almost missed hitting a few cars. This is later on, after he drove on E-470, after he hit that state trooper. He now tries to get out of the car and tries to carjack that guy in the uh, in the uh, in the in the BMW, he then bumps that black car, hits this lady. This is the next car that he carjacks when he just got off of Peoria, just south of E470. He pretends that hey, I just hit you. I'm in an accident. What's going on? And he gets up to the uh, woman's door. He opens it up and then rips her out, throws her to the ground, and then takes her car and then continues on his uh, on his wild chase. I was scared right there. I thought, let it go. Just let the car go. Don't go chasing after the car. She, he then comes into the intersection right here at Peoria and Lincoln Avenue, where he causes that accident. The car is undrivable. He jumps out, almost trapped. He wanted to get into that car there and take it again, but he was unable to because of the Douglas County deputy there. And now he's on foot, running through the uh, front yard of that bank. He goes around the bank, slips and falls on the snow, loses his jacket, and eventually goes over to a fence where he can't get through anymore and this is where the officers eventually get him without any other resistance which was thankful news so a very scary chase that lasted about 45 minutes or so this morning and thankfully it didn't uh, turn out worse than it could have as rundown where you go big or you go home that's it those are your only two options <laughs> you're gonna end up in prison for who knows how many years make it good i guess oh exactly. man i'll tell you what oh okay well top story tonight uh remember when uh the usurper in chief fake catholic uh joe biden had this to say about well where is it where's my where's my Biden video did these things get reordered this is not aging well. There, you're okay. It. You're not going to. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. Oh, that's not true. You know what else is not true that he said? There, you're okay. You're not going to. You're not going to get COVID if you have 
these vaccinations. Yeah. Oh, one one final one final thing that he said that wasn't true. They're, you're okay. You're not going to you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. But <laughs> because the best vaccination is to get infected yourself. And so if, she, if, she, if she really has the flu, if she really has the flu, she definitely doesn't need a flu vaccine. Right. If she really has the flu, she right. should not get it again. No, she doesn't need it because the, it, it's the be, it's the most potent vaccination is getting infected yourself. That one didn't age well. You know what else didn't age well? To clean up loose ends. If you have a piece of crack cocaine. No bigger than this quarter that I'm holding in my hand. One quarter of one dollar. We passed a law through the leadership of Senator Thurman and myself and others. A law that says, if you're caught with that, you go to jail for five years. You get no probation. You get nothing other than five years in jail. Judge doesn't have a choice. Under our forfeiture statutes. You can, the government can, take everything you own, everything from your car to your house, your bank account, not merely what they confiscate in terms of the dollars from the transaction that you've just got caught engaging in. They can take everything. I don't care why they've become a sociopath. We have an obligation to cordon them off from the rest of society. They are in jail. Away from my mother, your husband, our families. So I don't want to ask, what made them do this? They must be taken off the street. I just want to know one question, Ryan. Did Hunter Biden ever once smoke crack where he wasn't recording himself for some reason? Did he ever do it off camera? <laughs> I, I, I don't shirtless. know. Yeah, or or yeah, did, was he ever wearing a shirt while he was doing lines? Or uh, uh, merciful heavens, I have no idea. Although, <laughs> frankly, I for me the Hunter Biden thing is more just just. I think it's satire at a certain level where it's it, it's nothing's ever going to happen to the guy, and it's one of those red herrings they throw out there to get all our focus on that. Meanwhile, of course, they're doing the scandemic treaty over at the World Health Organization. They're trying to iron out to how to make it legally forcible. So I, I don't know. I'm not too worried about the Hunter Biden stuff because it, it just illustrates for me that there are these two tiers of justice in American society. If you're a celebrity that they like for whatever reason, uh, like, like what was it? How many years ago was it? Lindsay Lohan, old Disney pop star creature for whatever reason. Uh, she was caught with several ounces of cocaine and she even tried to blame it on the black person who was in her car, right? So isn't that like the very definition of white privilege, right? White rich celebrity blames cocaine possession on the black guy in the car. And then the judge can't even you know bring himself to put her into prison. And so she gets out. But uh, in real life, uh, if some person of color especially, but anyone else has you know that same amount of cocaine or less just like uh then senator now uh pedo and i mean president in chief commander in chief uh brandon has said you go to jail forever and and so if any of us if it was any of us you know we'd be put away for a long time 
Yeah, uh, we would. But, but you know, I, I agree that it's a distraction, but but it appears as though Hunter might actually face some charges on this stuff, mm. at least maybe not related to the drugs, but certainly related to illegal use of weapons and most importantly, his business deal. Decision by the U.S. attorney in Delaware. Bill. Okay, David, thank you for that. David Spunt leading our coverage there. Sandra. All right, let's bring in former DOJ prosecutor Jim Trusty. Jim, great to have you kick things off for us this morning. So we're told this is reaching a critical stage. What do you see happening next? Uh, color me skeptical. I actually think there's a lot of questions from the reporting yesterday about what's going on. Uh, one thing is, you know, it sounds like we're trotting out a guilty plea, not necessarily an indictment. And there's a big difference, right? If there's a, a guilty plea, you can actually just file an information as the prosecutor that alleges the very narrow facts that you're going to make the guy plead guilty to. So I'm very concerned when you talk about a tax case and maybe a gun case, and this would be a very dinky gun case, frankly, that the guideline numbers are going to be low. It's going to deflate everything into a little silo for Hunter Biden and for a very sympathetic story about addiction. Just one other thought on that, Sandra. There was this open fretting, apparently, by prosecutors on the case that his drug addiction, Hunter Biden's drug addiction, was somehow a defense to a bunch of white-collar crimes. That is ludicrous. It's, it can be a mitigator. It can be a defense when you have something involving like spur of the moment action. But for months and years of financial transactions, drug addiction is a non-starter. But if they're even floating it out there, it tells me we, we might have a very sympathetic plea agreement coming in the near future. Very interesting. A couple of things here, Jim. Uh, help me understand the law. If it's a tax violation and you pay back the taxes, oftentimes judges go lenient on you. Uh, however, this foreign lobbying violation, that could, if found guilty on a charge such as that, tie him directly to the president of the United States, could it not? Because if he's working other countries and other companies overseas. Sure, it could. I mean, you know, factually, there's a lot of big questions about not just Hunter Biden, but other people in the family. And what you're not hearing at all out of Delaware is the word conspiracy. You know, 80 percent, 90 percent of white collar cases involve a conspiracy charge, which by definition means you're looking outside a single person's action. It's not sounding like that from the rumor mill so far. So again, I, I think it looks like a very contained and friendly potential agreement coming on the horizon. I'm reading the tea leaves. I'm, yeah. I'm hoping I'm kind of wrong, but uh, that's what I'm seeing so far. Okay. All right. Go, Smitty. Flashback to then-candidate Biden saying he never spoke to his son about these foreign business dealings. Here it is. PayPal's dad, it's 815 um, on uh, Wednesday night. If you get a chance, give me a call. Not, nothing urgent. Just want to talk to you. I thought the article, at least the thing on online, this going to be printed tomorrow in the Times, was good. I think it's clear. And then there was this. Play that out. How many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. So obviously the voicemail uh, we heard more recently, but you flash back to 2019, and he has said over and over again that he never had these discussions. Knowing this investigation is ongoing, what does it look like at this stage? Jim. Well, you know, the, the part about the president's denials were already kind of implausible, right? I mean, it's hard to imagine a father doesn't engage in any conversation with his son, particularly while they're flying on Air Force Two halfway across the world for business deals. So 
it never really rang as a particularly authentic comment. That voicemail, again, to have a comment from the president, or at the time vice president, saying, I think you're in the clear, is the kind of language that a prosecutor, an independent prosecutor, would actually make poster board out of. That would that would be in front of the grand jury every day saying this was conspiratorial action, this was a pay-to-play scheme, this was more than one participant. But again, whether, whether we're going to see that and whether there's going to be an integrity test passed by the attorney general on this issue at all is, is a big mm -hmm. if. Appreciate the analysis. Thank you, Jim. Nice to see you again. Now, the real question is whether or not uh, this sideshow, is, is, as you described it, Ryan, is going to lead anyone into asking critical questions about the Biden family's connections to Ukraine. Drive to clean up loose ends. November 16, 2016, two weeks after Donald Trump's victory, Joe Biden is on the phone with Poroshenko, his voice tenser now than before. This is getting very, very close. What I don't want to have happen, I don't want Trump to get in the position where he thinks he's about to buy onto a politics where the financial system is going to collapse and he's going to be looked to to pour more money into Ukraine. That's how he'll think about it before he gets sophisticated enough to know the detail. In other words, Biden does not want Ukraine asking for more money from Trump. Doing so would cause Trump to look into the details. So anything you can do to push the, the, the private bank uh, um, to closure so that the IMF loan comes forward, I would respectfully suggest is critically important to your economic as well as physical security. Critically important. To your economic and physical security. Then ex-Vice President Biden talking to high-level government officials in the Ukraine, telling them that they need to not ask for money from the United States because that would cause Trump to figure out that there is something fishy going on in banking relationships and their physical security as a nation is threatened. Ryan. Well, here we are. Aren't we? <laughs> um, it's, it's it's kind of amusing. It's kind of interesting. It's bit you know Trump can't do that, but we can, you know, because only we can have that corruption. I think what it really shows is that I think we've said it in previous programs. Ukraine is the new Afghanistan as far as the corruption goes, where all the money's going to, where all the money's coming out of. Uh, foreign aid is a massive money laundering scheme. Whenever they declare they're giving foreign aid to this country or that country, it always goes to companies where the children of Congress critters sit on the board and then they make money and that money comes back and gets divvied out. And so it's just, just massive money laundering. And Ukraine, I think, is one of the worst modern examples of it. And because uh, not even just Biden, but Pelosi too, her family has positions in Ukrainian companies where they're making money out of all this. And so it's interesting that when does the impeachment trigger come off against Trump? You know, they're screaming so many things about him that whole time. But when does that trigger get pulled? It's when Trump starts digging into Ukraine. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, once again, all roads lead in, all the money trail leads in and back out to, to wherever. So, and, I, and they're just now reporting, and in, in even NPR had the uh, journalistic sobriety, James, to, to put out a blurb today that, well, after all this time and after all these tens of billions of dollars with Zelensky now firing two of his top uh, government officials, uh, but just precipitously, 
Um, suddenly, we're really worried about corruption with with the Ukraine. Uh, mainstream media just now kind of coming around to that question. I mean, it's really laughable, right? Because you had uh, video and audio from Joe Biden threatening, uh, was it in 2015 or so? Uh, the uh, uh, I think it was the R- Ukrainian... Um, uh, some some top uh, figure in the re- Ukrainian government, uh, you know. So we had that video and audio, and nobody paid attention to it, you know. You and you had the, you know, uh, all these things sort of swirling around. Hey, you know, there's corruption in Ukraine, and you're focusing on Trump's uh, perfect phone call, right? You know. <laughs> so we we all ignore that for three years, and now all of a sudden this is a top concern after we've basically robbed the American people. You know, uh, taking a lot of our tax dollars, billions and billions of them, and now giving them to to uh, Ukraine. Now there's a question of corruption possibility. It's absolutely insane. It, uh, brother, I want to bring you in on the Ukrainian discussion and Biden corruption. Uh, when our Lord told us to render to Caesar what is due to Caesar, um, I can't bring myself to believe that we're supposed to render to Caesar one iota one dime one penny more than what our obligation is to support holy mother church particularly in these times when caesar is so corrupt to the core compromised by the ccp compromised by the ukrainians uh who isn't who isn't he compromised by at this point it's a good question i mean it's very it's very between a rock and a hard spot right i mean because if you don't give to caesar what he says or at least get to caesar what he asks of you demands of you uh, then you're going to jail. You're you're getting everything taken away from you. So in one sense, you're you're trying to keep what you what you need to provide for your families. But at the same time, if you don't give what's what's asked of you, you're going to be taken away to no longer be able to provide for your families. It's a, but it's a kind Hunter of doesn't too. have to give to Caesar. Well, exactly. I mean, his, when your daddy is Caesar, uh, it's a little <laughs> bit different of a situation. Uh, <laughs> hey, don't forget ten percent for the big guy. Exactly. Ten percent. Well, yeah. Okay. So he was giving to Caesar just directly, not through. <laughs> and good for him. Where was he infected? I I don't think we know. Um, I certainly don't know if you if you have any thoughts I, on I, that. Look, I I don't think that that matters, right? I think what matters is we prepared for this moment. I think what matters uh, is what Dr. Jha just laid out. Uh, if we look at where we were were a year and a half ago, this is a president when he walked in. One of his first priorities was to make sure we had a comprehensive plan to get people vaccinated. I know where he got it. I know where he got it, Ryan. It was the fist pump. <laughs> it, was, it was a disrespectful fist pump. He goes to Saudi Arabia, and for the first time, a United States president just gets a fist pump from uh, from the prince, the crown prince. There you go again. Blame the Arab. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, really, it doesn't matter where he got. I mean, could have gotten anywhere. Does it even yeah. exist? Or if it exists, you know, does does he really have it? Is it? test I, at this point it's impossible to really filter out any of that information or even its relevance it's just more and more they're going to use that to push forward the the coming uh whether it's going to be a new scariant or it's going to be a new uh a push for the very same virus unspecified virus of unspecified origin or whether they're really going to push the monkeypox i really don't know but they are getting ready they're ramping up for the next season of uh, mask mandates, of uh, you know booster drives, and of course, no doubt, some places will lock down again. 
um, that they're already preparing all the groundwork for that yet again. Surprise. And I think with uh, and that's really what this, you know, it, highlighting COVID still a danger. Look, he's got it. We'll just completely ignore everything we said about this, uh, the pokey. And we'll yeah. ignore everything we said about what it's going to do. And just look at it. See, you need to keep getting those uh, those boost ups if you want to, you know, not get sick. Even though you're, you're OK, you're not going to you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. Where that- are my Pinocchios? We need some Pinocchios. We need 17 <laughs> Pinocchios for that one. Uh, you're right. You brought up monkeypox. This is uh, this is New York City, New York City. Uh, folks lining up for the monkey pox vaccine. It goes on for a while. James, did you happen to notice anything about uh, the demographics of the people who are lining up for the monkeypox vaccine? Did anything stand out at you? Oh, you know, I'm sorry. I I thought you were showing a clip of uh, people getting up early to go to like the really super short, short store that was having huge (laughs) discounts. Sorry, was that a Barbara Streisand concert? Right, something like that, right? No, um, they're all going in for their their personally modeled uh, RTF shorts. Right, Aiden man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, absolutely. And this is something that people are are not uh, paying attention to. Is this is uh, a threat a threat to people who uh, obviously are doing things they shouldn't be doing? You know, this unnatural. Uh, 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 you know, uh, relations that uh, people are getting themselves into uh, creates problems like this, but no one's really talking about it, right? It's supposed to be an epidemic, uh, uh, you know, that we're all afraid of, but there's a targeted uh, uh, a group that this is, uh, you know, affecting. And it's not people who desire to be family-oriented in the natural, in the natural sense, you know. Uh, it's people of other persuasions, and you can take from that <laughs> what you will. Oh, I, I know how the administration is going to view those people from other persuasions. Here's uh, one of the top health officers from this regime talking Richard? about. Oh, yeah. Little Dick. Here he is. So we really want to to to, to base our treatment and uh, and to uh, affirm and to uh, support and empower these youth not to limit their participation in activities and sports and even uh, uh, limit their ability to get gender affirmation treatment in their state. Gender. Af- okay. <laughs> gender affirmation. <laughs> what is what is gender affirmation treatment? That's what you gay. <laughs> but the administration now is uh, the regime, as we'll call it. Uh, the regime is doing jumping jacks because it wasn't it wasn't usurper in chief fake Catholic Joe Biden's fault. Uh, it was the Putin tax when gas prices went up. But of course, now that gas prices are coming back down, he wants to take credit. Having it both ways, Jared, because when the gas prices go up, it's got nothing to do with the president. When we see some decline, you want him to get the credit. Uh, look, I think that uh, that that. Uh, it, 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 there's there's no both way thinking here at all. Yeah. Okay. There's no both way thinking here at all, unless you want gender affirming care, in which case that's both way thinking definition of it. Both way thinking. 
Right. <laughs> Speaking of hypocrisy, and, uh, and they're still doing the COVID thing, Brother Martin, especially on the left coast. I feel really bad for Los Angeles County. This is your top L.A. County health official two days before declaring a national emergency and bringing the masks back. <laughs> I didn't see a mask on her face, Brother Martin. Of course not. She's like Dr. Fauci, who would go to the, the Washington Nationals baseball games and just have his mask down. They know it's all charades. They know it's all charades, but they want to instill fear again because fear equals control, and, and they need the control back again because they're losing the narrative. And so they got to bring uh, – same with monkeypox and, and this whole, uh, oh, the LGBT community is a lot bigger than we actually think it is, so therefore we need to make it a national crisis as opposed to – a, a crisis for a small demographic that is an actual physical consequence of the of the actions that they choose to do themselves. We have to make it sound bigger and, and, and as as if it's a a greater crisis than it actually is. No, stop stop doing each other in the butt, and you don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> this show is not for children because we openly mock poop sex and chopstick on this program. Um, so sorry, Ryan. Ryan, I'm sorry, Ryan. <laughs> hilarious okay all right uh in the in these united states uh people just randomly drop dead of heart attacks now and that's normalized this is what happens when a store clerk in philadelphia did just that It continues. Ryan, it's super convenient. If you are not one of those people that is just going to randomly drop dead from heart attacks, which is just the new normal now, uh, you could drop dead from a heart attack in these United States from shoveling snow or from exerting yourself too much or from stretching or from doing yard work. From planting Uh, flowers. Picking flowers can make you drop dead from a heart attack. I wish I knew what was causing it. We'll never know. Maybe. Uh, Maybe in the general judgment. But I strongly suspect that the four of us are not going to drop dead of a heart attack randomly, at least while we're doing the rundown. Uh, <laughs> but it is super convenient now. If you're a criminal and uh, you're, you're, you possess human DNA, you're probably going to be the beneficiary of this. Probably. Just, uh, just be in the right place at the right time. Wait for everyone to – I mean, it, it's a horrific – it really is a horrific thing to talk about, but, um, and there's different, uh, so many different causes of, of ailments from the, uh, the poke that's even beyond the heart attacks that again, the, there, that's the only correlating factor between everything. Again, correlation is not causation, but it sure is an indicator of what the causation might be. And it tells you where you need to look. And that's the one place no one is allowed to look because well, all research bills are paid by Pfizer. 
So it, <laughs> that's that's who funds just about everything or the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or Gavi, which also, again, comes from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and so on and so forth. That's who funds scientific research. So you're not going to get anyone that's going to have the guts to come out and say, yes, we yeah. know what is causing all this because uh, there's trillions in profits on the line. So I, I but I think you're right. Uh, everyone who didn't uh, avail themselves of the poke has a much reduced chance of uh, suddenly collapsing. I never the- said that. We never. That is not the official position of the rundown. The rundown <laughs> follows the science, and we believe it. But speaking of blatant and wanton thievery in these United States, here's just a perfect example of people walking out with the fried chicken. <laughs> Kind enough to share Brother Martin a piece of chicken with a cameraman, so that's at least you know he's not all bad. But this is a Biden economy now, where look, you're just gonna have to steal the chicken. Yeah, that's kind of what we were talking about before. Is I mean, if they can't afford the chicken, they're gonna get it. If they can't afford the gas, they're gonna have to find some other way to get it. Uh, but I mean, the fact that everyone there is laughing, um, and and the guy who's selling the chicken is apparently of a different race, a different nationality, kind of show that I mean, racism isn't exactly just a white person thing, and not just a black person thing. It's it's, uh, you got your little communities and you got the people that you pick on and you just it's like it's like kindergarten all over again you, know, you got your friends against another group of friends and that's that uh, but it is kind of it's it's kind of sad just to see just everybody just walk, uh, watching someone die and, and taking money from a cash register um, well, you know watching someone so obviously working honestly for their living to support their families or whatever else and everybody just laughing with someone walking off with a bunch of chicken I mean that's that, that was their paycheck for that day you know and, and that's what our economy is going to come to I mean people got to prepare for for that happening randomly in their own lives speaking of being prepared if you're an uber driver highly recommend having a dash cam so that you can pick up you know these intimate moments like this Now that one goes on and it's too painful to watch, but uh, if you have the courage to speak up for yourself, James, in these United States, if you uh, if you don't just take the abuse, um, well, then you're you're in the wrong in some respect. Well, first of all, I'm going to take some time out to apologize for my uh, cousins there, uh, <laughs> Jaquan, Janice, uh, Raquando, Quintisha, and Darrell. You recognize them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, for stealing that fried chicken, and now, now, of course, you know, my my third cousin's in this uh, car here, causing 
such incredible distress to people on the streets. I, I apologize for that. No, this is absolutely insane. This is um, it's gonna get it's gonna get worse. I mean, w- what have we done since uh, the, the Democrats got into power? You know, is we're seeing uh, first of all, uh, California uh, basically not prosecuting you know criminals anymore. And same thing with New York. And this was coming an epidemic across uh, uh, various uh, cities where now the citizens are afraid to basically go about their day, whether it's walking down the street and then being shoved, being, you know, just shoved, uh, shoved, you know, down the sidewalk or being in a, in a taxi cab or Uber, as you just showed there, being pummeled, uh, you know, re- relentlessly. And then, you know, I mean, it's it's insane. This is kind of what it's like when there are no sheriffs, you know, when uh, law is disregarded and uh, the, the peacekeepers, so to speak, are basically muzzled and they're told, don't don't interfere, you know. And these people feel feel the need that, uh, you know, this sort of thing can be gotten away with. And so they're they're acting out as they feel, you know, this is not going to be prosecuted. So why yeah. why not show my my own force, you know? Right. And, you know, and speaking of blaming the victim, this is this one is really sad. I think there's some there's some uh, vulgarities in this video. So language warning, as always, on the rundown. But um, a woman had a someone break into her apartment, uh, torture her and her children. Uh, the, the person who did that ended up being shot uh, by the police. And now Black Lives Matter showing up. They're blaming the victim, the woman. And here she is out in front of the apartment building trying to defend herself saying, look, <laughs> this person's ruined my life. And you're my idols because you guys are celebrating his life. It was a terror. I'm sure it was a it's terror. It's not okay. You're okay. You're alive. Shut up. You guys need to just let it go. Grief in silence. This is not okay. This is not a George Floyd situation. George Floyd was un- unarmed. He was unarmed. You're alive. Sorry. This is not okay. My kids have to deal with this and probably have a mental illness now because they almost lost their life. There's bullet holes in my kitchen because he sat in the fucking hallway watching my move. I wish it never happened even that I don't have a place to call home. I can't sleep that night. Imagine Black Lives Matter, Ryan, showing up to your house to harass you because uh, you were the victim of a violent crime and the criminal was shot. It's it's, uh, you know, I saw something like this happen in Coeur d'Alene about six years ago. There's a coffee shop where a dog was shot by a police officer. I never I, I got some of the specifics from the owner. Because uh, I used to go there all the time to do internet, sometimes interviews, and and essentially there was a car just sitting there, and it looked very much like a car that was reported in attempted human trafficking stuff, uh, you know, kind of following kids and whatnot. Then um, anyway, so so he got concerned, linking those two together, called the police. Police came to the the car, the dog started barking at, at them, and so the officer panicked and shot the dog. And for whatever reason, the local liberal groups in Coeur d'Alene blamed the coffee shop and they picketed it and they, they left hate mail there. And it's like, what did the coffee shop have to do? They didn't shoot the dog. It was the police. Oh, but yet really? somehow that, you know, and so looking at that, it, it seems to be like the same type of mentality I'm seeing, except now it's a human being and her children that are never going to be the same, that have been absolutely terrorized by a thug and they want to celebrate the thug. And this is something that, 
it seems to be common a lot of these things. You know, we have these real, true instances of police brutality where the police uh, do things which uh, the internal police language for it is shocking to the conscience. Things mm-hmm. that just no officer could possibly, reasonable person, reasonable officer could countenance doing. And mm-hmm. they get away with it. Nothing happens. Uh, we investigated ourselves and we discovered we're fine. And the media is silent. BLM isn't showing up, even when the victim's black sometimes. Um, you know, it, it, the, like Breonna Taylor was one that the only reason you even saw anything on that case was because George Floyd happened a little while later and then people started connecting it. And that it just didn't make the traction. Uh, Eric Garner, what is he doing? Selling cigarettes on the fly. Yeah, technically illegal. And the police murdered him. And not barely a word about that. But then you have this thug, or you have right. other cases, people that uh, were extremely violent criminals, had a rap sheet, you know, this long of, of uh, bad behavior. And then now they suddenly they're celebrated. It, it, it really is one of those tactics of uh, communism. You saw it again in the violent riots leading up to the French Revolution. You celebrate the criminal, you vilify people who are uh, basically the whether it's the right word, the archetype of good and, and just society, right? You know, you see a victim and a victim should be made recompense to, and instead we're going to do the opposite. And the same thing, you know, in, in all of these violent revolutionary actions where they're always looking to overturn the, the right, what should be a just society. And I think it connects with the other two videos in terms of like the, the fried chicken man reinforcing the stereotypes. Good job for, uh, <laughs> for that one, bro. Um, or again, uh, you know, the, the ladies are sensibly senselessly beating this Uber driver and, and whatnot. It's it's moving toward that lawlessness. And the supposed supposed law enforcement officials are essentially saying, well, you can't defend yourself. You can't fight back. And that's why, that's right. again, an armed society is a polite society. If everybody carried guns, if everybody woman was known to have a gun in her purse, a lot of this would go away. Because you would have to be really stupid to attempt anything as you know everyone can shoot you. The criminality. Yeah, it is the great equalizer. Well, actually, you know what? It is the great equalizer, and here's proof with a woman with a gun. Was there any follow up to this case? I don't know. To be kind of yeah, you know that, that, that lady probably got arrested yeah. for, for pulling a gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she brandished a weapon for no reason. Right. But the wanton right. violence—I mean, the, the 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 casual violence—it doesn't just happen in fast food restaurants or in Uber cars. It happens in churches too. What on earth? Good grief! And there you go. Took the purse, punched the lady, knocked her out. Churches aren't even safe, Brother Martin. What do we do about that? Uh, you carry. <laughs> I mean, what, what, have you, what have you got to do? Is, is uh, The only way to face violence is, is, is violently or, or the great equalizer. Um, more and more, and people are starting to be more aggressive with punches. I mean, one punch to the head can knock you out. I mean, it is, it is something to play around with. A lot of people like to like to try to claim the higher moral moral ground by saying, "Oh no, I'll just take the hit or whatever." Us like that. It's like when you have other people to protect. I mean, you have you have that uh, duty first and foremost. Yeah. Uh, here's here's the here's my contention, James, and I want you to react to this. 
I think of all the people in the world uh, who are diagnosing this problem, <laughs> I hate to say it, but I think Steve Bannon has his finger on the pulse. We've essentially put the burden on the bailout on the working class and middle class. That's why nobody owns anything. Right. But the, the millennials today are nothing but 19th century Russian serfs. They're better fed. They're better clothed. They're in better shape. They have more information than anybody in the world at any point in time. But they don't own anything. They're not going to own anything. Okay? And, they, and, and they're 20%. If you, take, if you mark in time against their parents, they're 20% behind in their income. And there's no pension plan in the future. They're, they're all gig economy. We've literally destroyed the middle class in this country. Okay. And both political parties. By the way, this is not about Republicans and Democrats. Right. This, but, is, this, is, this is the way the system works, and this is the way the system comes together. James, we're seeing an increase in violence, especially amongst uh, millennials and Gen Xers in these United States who don't own anything. You're supposed to be happy when you don't own everything. That's what I was told by the World Economic Forum. But the fact of the matter is, he's right. We've labored under a system of systematic terrorism, uh, financial terrorism, usury. It's everywhere. And we've been deprived of personal property. We don't own anything. And as a result, people are lashing out. Yeah, you know, uh, the chickens are coming home to roost. This has been something that uh, millennials probably uh, are the group that you could probably most uh, identify here, right? Because um, starting in the 90s and, 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 and onwards, you had the problem of people uh, accusing property of basically being racist, you know? And so in, in order to live in this altruistic altruistic you know, state of uh, heightened uh, moral, uh, you know, code, you, you had to sort of let go of your property, right? So the property became the aggressor, became, you know, the, the, the huge problem. But now these people are in their, you know, mid to late 30s, and they're starting to realize that uh, the world has not always been their friend. And now, how, but, but, but how do they deal with it, right? They're going out and they're causing havoc. They're going out and they're punch, punching people, they're hitting people, they're trying to, you know, uh, you know, get things that are not theirs. You know, this is obviously what we call stealing, you know, and they're OK with it because now they, they realize, you know, for them, having a moral uh, uh, a compass is not is not worth it in a climate where, you know, you don't have anything, you know, and that's probably the, the level we're in right now, which is not a good place because it means there's utter chaos, there's utter chaos coming next. You know, so, yeah, it's a, it's a big problem. What do you think we input. need to do? Oh, oh we need a revolution. Yeah. Yeah. And we need it no. now. No. Not later. Now. Meanwhile, Europe is putting themselves into a wartime economy uh, as their currency continues to fall against the U.S. dollar uh, more precipitously than I think we've ever seen. The euro is now at parity or below parity with the U.S. dollar. Bartering and wartime economy is, is here to stay. A Munich brew pub is beating Europe's cooking oil shortages and ensuring plentiful stocks by letting customers pay for their beer with sunflower oil. Ukraine and Russia account for about 80% of global exports of sunflower seed oil, so supplies have dwindled in many European countries because of the conflict. Bottles of rapeseed and sunflower oil have become more scarce on German supermarket shelves, and many shops ration the number of bottles per customer. Eric Hoffman is the manager of Munich's Geisinger Brewery. Getting oil is very difficult for the reason that we do it in the supermarket with every private customer. There, you can only get it rationed and in smaller quantities. And if you need 30 litres a week and only get 15 instead, at some point you won't be able to fry a schnitzel any longer. 
To compensate for this shortage, the brewery is offering beer lovers a litre of their favourite brew for the same quantity of sunflower oil. While a litre of beer costs about $7 in German pubs, a one-litre bottle of sunflower oil retails for about $4.50, making the offer tempting for many customers. The customers. First of all, a litre of beer is $7, and second of all, seed oils are the devil, they'll kill you. But notwithstanding all of that fact, uh, we, we're now witnessing a return of the barter economy, Ryan, as the currencies around the world, fiat currencies, the monopoly money, based on nothing, besides the lethal force of government, are failing. It's also a question of meeting the need because um, we haven't seen those those currencies have not completely collapsed yet, even though they, their value has been hollowed out over the century to obscene amounts of what the, the value used to be. At the same time, it's not completely valueless yet, but the availability uh, the you know getting things you know now they're looking for all right well how do we get a hold of these things that are generally in the populace and barter is one of those easy ways and of course and they highlighted there too barter has one limitation you can't always match the values uh you know sometimes in in this one they're a few euros off but they're still doing it anyway because it's actually more valuable to them in terms of the product they're trading than trying to get their you know their oils through the restaurant supply Although again, they're as you noted, they're getting seed oils, and seed oils are poison. So, but just the same, barter is. I think we need to, you know, get our heads right about barter. I'm all for barter, but you got to remember, you're going to lose value in some end of the of the transaction. And so, in the point in bartering is coming up with the trade that best approximates the value of what you're trading. And if you can get to that then then it'll be valuable in these fellows over here in in munich they've they've like all right we're losing three euro on in terms of that but we're gaining on the other side by having this available instead of waiting for our ration to come in mm -hmm. yeah meanwhile everyone is pretending that the next crisis to come is the uh well it's 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 the climate so i think that uh, the challenge for all of us now is that no one country can solve this problem by itself. We all have to be able to reduce the emissions. We have to accelerate the transition. We're behind. We're not yet fulfilling the promises that we made in Glasgow. So we have our work cut out for us, and I look forward to talking about that with you. Brother Martin, we're way behind, um, and this is music to uh, Francis the Merciful's ears because using plastic straws is an ecological sin, so at least he's on board with that. But how, however, are we going to reduce our greenhouse gases? I mean, I was told that we were headed for an ice age, but now it seems like it's really hot. It's really hot, and it's a sin to use air conditioners, especially if you're in England and have this incredible heat wave and your houses were built to hold in heat. Do not think about using electricity to uh, put on your air conditioner because the environment. Uh, yeah, it's all it's all absolutely insane. Um, obviously, the left they, they don't think congruently. Uh, I mean, we're told stop using air conditioner, stop using electricity over here, and then we're told to switch to electric cars because uh, that's going to be more conducive. As if as if the the electrical grid or whatever can can sustain it can't sustain one but can sustain the other. It's complete nonsense and. It, it really it, it begs the question: Why why are they so blatantly dishonest and hypocritical if they want us to go along with all of this? It's, it's one thing that doesn't quite make sense to me. It's like if if they want to win, you'd think they'd be far more creative. But it, it the the floor is falling from beneath them. 
Uh, oh, they they don't even care if you believe it. They're just going to bludgeon you into it. There's a here's a Veritas video of a CNN executive admitting that the, the climate thing is the next COVID, and they're just gonna they're just gonna beat you into submission. This story comes up, they're gonna latch onto it. They've already announced in her office that once the public is will be open to it, we're gonna start focusing mainly on climate. Um, uh, climate like global warming and like that's going to be our next like um, I don't know like what's the word it's our it's going to be our focus like uh, like our, our focus was to get Trump out of office right without saying it that's what it was right so our next thing is going to be for climate change awareness what does that look like I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I have a feeling it's just going to be like constantly showing videos of like decline and ice and weather warming up and like the effects it's having on the economy and, and really talking Who's about it. The head of the network, like just. Who's that? Is that Zucker? Zucker, yeah. I imagine that he's got his counsel and they've all like discussed like where. They think um, so. That's like the next pandemic-like story, like that will, yeah, that will will beat to death. But that one's got longevity. You know what I mean? It's not like there's a definitive ending to the pandemic, or you know, like it'll take off to a point that it's you know not a problem anymore. Probably think it's going to take years. So They're, you're okay. You're not going to you're not going to get COVID if you have. These vaccinations. Yeah. Well, the pandemic is over, I thought. And, and now CNN is going into overdrive. First, James and Ryan. Uh, CNN is going to tell you the, how you need to feel. And the next climate emergency is, is just around the corner. Okay, well, it looks like we lost James. James has no audio. James is going to come back to us. Ryan, the next climate emergency coming to a supermarket near you. <clears throat> no, precisely. The, the climate emergency has simply been, from the beginning, you know, a manipulation scam just to get everybody on board with uh, the zero carbon agenda, which is the zero you agenda. It's basically just another form. It's just the, it's the, the not the fulcrum even, it's the, it's the anvil for the eugenics agenda basically to smash you on yeah see you're destroying the planet so you can't have the things that are necessary to survive oh well i know this will means that 90 percent of the planet will die but uh hey that that's what has to happen to save the planet you don't want to destroy the planet you don't want to be selfish now do you um and, and that's the rhetoric that it, it's bringing in it's it's just the excuse to get you to that technocratic reality that they are building for you um which we've talked about before, we talked about again, whenever they say zero carbon, that means genocide. There is no, and they know that, there is no way to get to zero carbon unless there is zero you and me and everybody else. Because uh-huh. guess what we exhale? Guess what? Uh, anything that we would do to allow us to survive, even in very miserable conditions, will emit too much carbon for their 2030 agenda. These are artificially low goals. And you look at what they're doing, like we've talked last week with the Netherlands and all the everywhere else in the, in the EU where they're setting in these 
um, you know, nitrogen goals and whatnot. All these things are to make agriculture impossible at a time when we're facing one of the worst famines in modern history. And oh, this is perfectly okay. You can't do anything to say anything against that, or else you're a climate denier. Um, or whatnot. I mean, the climate is always changing in one way or the other because it's driven by the sun, which itself changes in cycles. And, and we observe these changes throughout the earth throughout uh, time. So the idea that, you know, anyone's denying that that's a thing, it's, it's ludicrous, but it's conflating two different things. And when do they get on the climate agenda? Always. It's in the summer, right, which they're confusing local weather patterns with this claim of this overall increase in the temperature of the earth because of human activity, which ha has never been proven to actually happen. And really, I always say, how do you calculate global temperature? How exactly do you do it? And and, and every time I've asked somebody who, who's an absolute zealot on climate stuff, he has no answer. How do you calculate the global temperature? Because most of it is coming from satellites in the Western, or not satellites, from uh, data centers in the Western hemisphere namely in the Western United States, which accounts for 90% of the data they use to make that global temperature. Satellite data does not show that increase in the temperature and other places. In, 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 there's so many different factors it would take to actually really measure seriously the global temperature and its averages. In the history that we can demonstrate shows that there it hasn't been this precipitous increase increase and all of a sudden 1950 boom which is what they want you to imagine happens it's a it's a boom and bust cycle of you know increases and decreases as the sun goes through different patterns of increases and decreases because the sun that drives the climate not the cows farting in the field and right now we're still in a grand solar minimum which is only beginning and it's going to whip up and if you don't know what that is do look up grand solar minimum Hey, uh, Ryan, I got I, I got a question for you. I mean, based on what you just said, which I absolutely uh, believe, what do you think these global elites want us to 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 get when they say carbon? We're talking about the element that's, that basically is present in life forms. So when they say they want to eliminate carbon down to zero, I mean, you've you've said that, but anybody who is looking at or reading that statement or listening to that state to that statement, are, are we supposed to not to ignore the fact that carbon equals life basically yes uh when they say carbon of course they're they're creating a euphemism for industry and principally for burning petrol in the cars and or burning gasoline in the cars and burning uh coal to make power and uh, whatever else has to happen uh agriculture which uh, is again increases carbon and the carbon footprint uh we've shown the video in this program before about uh one of the uh, someone from the WHO talking about how at, uh, I think it was at the latest um, Davos meeting where they said, hey, you know, we're developing this way for everyone to track their own carbon footprint. And they can see exactly how much carbon they put out. Right. So ostensibly what they're driving at, what they say they're driving at is reducing industry to causing this greenhouse gas effect, which frankly, again, has never been proven to actually happen. That's that's one of the greatest elephants in the room. Does carbon actually trap heat in the atmosphere and methane and dangerous gases that are going to uh, cause all these precipitous problems on the earth? That has still never been shown to actually happen, right? And it's again, just like we've seen with um, the unspecified virus of unspecified origins, just as you've seen with 
uh, you know, everything in that response that was called the science. And then they admit that the science is now not the science because of reasons. Uh, it's the same thing with the, the carbon stuff. Uh, oil. Is oil a fossil fuel? How can that be? The Really, what we're talking about is a cube-sized, a Borg-sized cube of dinosaurs, like a Borg ship in Star Trek, uh, that basically would, would gradually rot for billions of years in Saudi Arabia or something like that. That's basically what you're talking about if, if oil really is a fossil fuel. It's not. It's abiotic. And that's something that was known going into the 20th century. It was supplanted in favor of the fossil fuel narrative because now you have scarcity that drives up the price. And, you know, it, they actually, the geologists know this, actually, that oil comes from magma chamber reactions in the earth. There's people who shut down their wells in the late 90s because, uh, you know, it seemed to have been depleted quite a bit. And then they reactivated their wells when they get the price of gas goes up. And they're like, hey, I can make some money now. And what do they find? Their well is 90% uh, replenished. How is, is that possible? Is, isn't, is, that, isn't that amazing? <laughs> That's amazing. But what else is amazing is you're, you're talking about taking temperatures from around a so-called globe. I don't know. Right. So oh we are here in the village of Eerbeck in the Netherlands. And as you can see, this is the site of one of the several dozen farmers protests that have sprung up across the entirety of the country. These are real grassroots protests. Uh, they're not really coordinated. There's no top down structure. They're just springing up everywhere. And they are being initiated by farmers who are seeing new government regulations uh, that are being proposed in the parliament as something of a death sentence to their farm, something between 30 to 50 percent of, of the farms might actually close down if these regulations go into effect. And so a lot of these farmers, they see this as essentially their last stand uh, to fight back against this encroachment by the government. And down there, it looks like you have uh, some more trucks as well as uh, maybe a group of farmers. So let's go on and talk to them. The Dutch uprising continues, James. Uh, it's happening not only in the Netherlands, it's happening all over Europe. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see this uh, trend is not dying anytime soon. Of course, you know, there were concerns uh, based off of what we saw last year with the Canadian truckers that this was going to quickly diminish as a movement. But so far, it's, it's done nothing but pick up uh, steam. And this is a very good thing. It's a very good thing. And uh, uh, people are starting to get energized by seeing how forceful uh, this 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 uh, movement is, and we're hoping that this continues, and that uh, people start to realize that they actually have the power to take control back from uh, these people who wish to deny them uh, access to to food and to, to to property. Can you imagine being? I mean, pe people are basically being paid to not to not farm, and <laughs> and and when when they don't want to do that, then the government says. Well, you're, you're banned from doing this, 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 and this, you know? And so here we have the people saying, this is ridiculous. We're not going to stand for this. And we're going to, we're going to make you know how we feel before it get, things get worse. And that's, that's what I think is, is key here. They, they realize they can't just keep sitting back and waiting for things to get better. Last week, we focused a lot on Europe and the political turmoil that's happening there. Uh, the government in Italy is falling apart uh, as we speak. They've dissolved their parliament. Still no leader emerging in the United Kingdom. And uh, other governments around Europe and uh, across the continent are, are under duress. Meanwhile, in Panama, the whole country's just melted down. <laughs> 
Okay, brother, Latin America is experiencing the same thing. It seems like everyone is going through some version of uh, some kind of economic crisis, economic passion. We certainly are with 25% inflation uh, or, or more in these United States. Of course, they, they tell us it's only 9%. Um, but it seems like <clears throat> as bad as things are here, they could be a lot worse. Parece una fiesta en, en Panama con las banderas y todo eso, waving the flags. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it is. It's, it's happening absolutely everywhere, which in one sense vindicates all of us who, who, who have sat here and have said things are going to get bad, things are going to get bad, things are going to get bad, and they're, and they're getting bad everywhere. So it's, it's not just us who are you know, conspiracy theorists, all, all that kind of stuff. But um, I mean, it, it is kind of true, just as it is here, when, when the rich are, when you, know, when you know, when gas prices are hurting the rich, you know, with those who have huge trucks and, you know, escalates and all that kind of stuff, and it takes them $140 to fill up their tank. If they're hurting, you know the middle class is hurting here. Uh, also, if you know the middle class is hurting here, you know that the, the poor in, in the poorest countries and in, in third world countries in Latin America and Africa, you know they're, they're hurting even more. But they're hurting even more also because we've been tricked to become dependent on these sources of energy uh, as opposed to just using a mule just to ride it to the grocery store, pack our mules with our groceries and ride it back home. You know, we've, we've been, yeah, we've been I, thought you were, I thought you were going to say that we should we should go nuclear and, and have nuclear power plants. I didn't I didn't realize you were going uh, well post thermonuclear, you know, no, let's like, go back to the mules. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of explosions and, uh, and stuff, non nuclear explosion. How about this? At the Hoover Dam. Well, folks, get your video on that. There's just been an incident here. At My the goodness. Something's just blown out. We're going to be uh, leaving now. So we're going to get trapped in here. Something has just blown up. Yeah. Now, the Hoover Dam doesn't produce much energy uh, these days because water levels are so low, Ryan. But uh, yes, I can hear your fan, brother, to okay, answer thanks. your question. Go on mute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, Ryan, uh, they, they say it was just a power transformer because that happens. You know, for critical infrastructure, we just randomly have explosions in these United States now. That's normal. Yeah, well, of course. Absolutely. Happened all the time. Uh, like, uh, never. I mean, things do happen, and it's entirely possible that was some something that somebody did do a maintenance check for. Somebody didn't, in uh, some, some hazardous thing was stored. Uh, I don't know, but that the timing, it, as all the food processing plants go up in smoke, and you know, critical infrastructure, I think will be the next thing that starts going. Uh, watch roads, for example, as they start to crumble. Who knows if there aren't accidents that bring down a few uh, interstates. Uh, you know, I could think of like in Texas and some places where you're just as you're driving, there's just this mass of interstates and, and buildings. And God forbid, if there was something that that brought all that down, that would absolutely cripple uh, all traffic in, in those areas, not to mention all the, the death toll and something like that. So but I but again, this is back to the 2030 agenda. They do not the, the technocrats, the people that have all the control and the influence on your governments, on your NGOs, on your big businesses, uh, the people who run the big businesses, Amazon especially, Bayer Santo and all those things. Well, guess what? They believe the same things. They believe in this crazy technocratic agenda and the need to reduce the population by 90%. The 2030 agenda, which our government and, and all Western governments have agreed to and just about everyone's promoting, uh, does not 
foresee air travel. It doesn't see travel beyond a few miles outside your home. Um, it does not see that kind of activity taking place. So it's a little, in order to build back better, as it were, as in to rebuild everything toward that technocratic agenda, they're going to have to take out critical infrastructure. They're going to have to make certain places uninhabitable to force you out into the pod, into the cities, the smart cities, where your door is automatically locked because they have so decided uh, the algorithm. And it won't even be they as in a person. It's going to be an algorithm that's going to open your doors and lock your doors and turn on your fridge and monitor your fridge and decide what, you know, what within your carbon credit allowance for that month and uh, your the rations that are being allowed, what things can be purchased and delivered to your door to, uh, in order to put in your refrigerator. It all pre-planned everything. That's where it's all going. That's the end game. And Agenda 2030 is where that is looking at. And, you know, for years, people used to talk about Agenda 21 without looking at all these other bit of UN things. And that's also, there's also Agenda 2040 and 2050. And you need to sit down and read through what basically the technocrats and the governments of the world have already decided is going to happen to you and your progeny. They, that's what it is. Critical infrastructure is going to start going at a rapid rate. Yeah, speaking of speed of critical infrastructure too, uh, the, the language warning on this one too, but it's not just going to come from governments. It's going to come from climate terrorists like here on the 110 freeway. I used to drive this freeway to get into downtown Los Angeles. No, I'm about to get locked up for 54 years with my parole if I don't make my goddamn job. And y'all are so inconsiderate. Yo. We're live right now. Come on, man. One lane. I'm asking one lane. Before I go to prison, bro. One lane before I go to prison. You can see the desperation in this man's uh, voice and face here. James is unfortunate in his language, of course. And uh, perhaps at the end of the show, we can we can say an ave in reparation for his blasphemy. But the man is going to go to jail because he's missing an appointment with his parole officer. The, the reason why he won't make it to his parole officer is because these climate terrorists are sitting in the middle of a freeway in downtown Los Angeles. You're on mute. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. No, yeah, it's absolutely incredible that such a thing is uh, allowed to happen. I, I don't know exactly what people uh, see in, you know, creating some sort of civil uh, civil uh, disturbance like that is, is going to do. But uh, you have a man there who's trying to be uh, right by his, you know, by, by, you know, law, by his duty, you know, uh, basically trying to come back to, into, into society as a functioning uh a participant in society and now possibly going to serve some sort of uh, jail time if he doesn't have enough evidence that uh, this, this thing happened. So um, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Blessed be God. Blessed be his holy name. Um, where shall we go? How about an urgent message from the CDC? Many Americans are under vaccinated, meaning they are not up to date on their COVID-19 vaccines. Not all people over the age of 50 have received their first booster dose. Of those who received their first booster dose, only 28% of those over 50 have received a second booster dose. They're, you're okay. You're not going to you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. They're still saying it with a straight face, ladies and gentlemen. It's still a real thing. I can't even believe it. You know, of all, it's like it's like the horse is already dead and they're beating it. And some people, 
have you guys flown like have you flown lately you can fly without a mask and now you just self-identify as a looney tune because you wear the mask on your face and that is a that is an outward sign of your true religion and it's a of inward grace yeah <laughs> it's a sacramental and it's 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 evidence it's like it's like wearing a crucifix except like a, an, an inverted crucifix because you're an absolute naturalist you you actually disbelieve in science uh and these people are still pushing this stuff um Tucker my, be- my beard, my beard identifies as a mask. So hopefully, that'll get covered. Your beard is probably more efficacious than those things. But yeah, here's what I'll say about Tucker. Tucker tonight, actually, like right before we started this thing, was on this uh, this uh, his live show, and he was reading from two studies that if we read from those two studies on YouTube, we would be banned because the, those two studies actually talk about what happens to the human body after it has received these experimental gene therapies and the effects of it aren't exactly what they're promising you. Now, Tucker can get away with it, and maybe uh, now that he said it, we can say it later on, and we can read from those same studies. But if you just read from the studies, you'll be banned. And as Tucker was talking about on his show, if you cite those studies, if you perform those studies, you'll be canceled. This is Russian science. Speaking of Russian science, speaking of kitty cats, and speaking of confused people. I'll be teaching you guys some ways that my friends and I meow to one another to communicate when words just seem a little too difficult. So here we go. Okay, so first off, we have the normal meow that we just use mostly to get each other's attention. Meow. Okay, then we have the dissatisfied meow. Then the angry meow, but we only use this one on rare occasions because overall we're a very happy kitten family. Meow. Then the happy or content meow. Meow. Okay, then one of the most important ones for our kitten family is the I want to go potty meow. It took me a really long time to master this meow because it, it needs to be really specific in order for my kittens to understand. Okay, this is the most important meow for me, and it's the I need help wiping meow. Okay, and last but definitely. Wait, 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 did she just say that I need help wiping meow? She said that on the internet. You're the fucking woman that you said on the internet, I need help wiping. I don't know. I'm the proof. When I'm in a booth, spitting on the mic. Anti-vax. Putin hates all of them blacks. Putin is a bad racist. Put them in the ground, white or brown. And I'm in plain old town. And you know you just got found. I'm a pimp on a blimp. Elastic stacking shrimp. No, you can't stop my shine. I'm number 99. And you know I grind and shine. Zelensky, you are so smart. What's the smell? Did somebody fart? No way. What can you say? Fascinate me straight or gay. I love you and I love to rhyme and grind all the time. And you got that sanitizer. And you know I got that Pfizer. You know I stick it in my vein. Put a bullet in Putin's brain. Do it for the Ukraine. Be 
the flow. And I am a pimp. Cause I am on the blam. Eating lots of steak and shrimp. One more time, I 99. And you know I grind and shot. Gas prices way too high. Vladimir Putin needs to die. Gas prices way too high. Vladimir needs to die. To be honest, yeah, monkeypox. I don't know who is more sane between that guy who shows up to the Plano city council meeting and does these little performances. He's, he's a comedian. He shows up to all of these types of meetings and does some some skit, some rant, something just to mock the entire process. Oh, it's, There's which, one. You know what? The processes need to be mocked, Jay. No, it's true. It's true. There was actually one, and I want to take a minute to talk about this. There's one I saw uh, recently where he shows up as a trans woman. <laughs> he, he's wearing... He's wearing some sort of a dashiki, uh, you know, outfit and some sort of tie, bow tie yeah. or tie on his head. And he's basically talking about abortion rights. And this is a, it's a very well done video. He's spoofing the entire thing. He's saying, well, you know, as a as a man, how dare you say that I can't have an abortion or rather, as a, a trans woman? How dare you say I can't have an abortion? You know, so he's spoofing that whole thing. And it's brilliant. Of course, he uses uh, some coarse language in there. But it just goes all the way to show how how much uh, of these people are lunatics on that side of the aisle. Well, yeah, he, he is he is pretty genius. And satire is a very powerful form of mockery. Sometimes oh, yeah. things and people are just so evil and stupid that they have to be mocked. Uh, uh, one thing that is so evil and stupid, though, and it's tough to mock it. This is a 12. This is a 12 second clip. An officer in Uvalde, Texas, we're still in Texas now. He's just been informed that his wife was one of the people shot. He's a police officer. He draws his weapon and he tries to go in. This is These are his buddies stopping him from going in and killing the Uvalde shooter. <laughs> Ruben, 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 Ruben. She said she shot Meanwhile, let's stand outside for an hour, Ryan. Use hand sanitizer and uh, scratch our derriers, uh while children are massacred by a psychotic uh, human being who worked at Burger King and somehow managed to procure $10,000 of tactical equipment. This adds up, doesn't it? Oh, of course. It's routine uh, SOP for uh, police departments. No, no, it isn't. The more you, I look at this business with the uh, Uvalde, I got to watch it because I want to go all Alex Jones uh, on this one. And I can't because I mean, who knows? We, we don't get just get canceled right out of it. But I the see it. Turn frogs and, gay. Yeah, <laughs> not so much that one. I'm thinking more a, a different event that he claimed didn't happen. I'm wondering. Part of me just doesn't want to think that that kids really died like that. But part of me, I just look at everything. And who knows if this wasn't some kind of op that's been. Uh, I don't know, a drill that went live or, or who knows what, because there's so many things that just don't add up. Apparently the wife of that officer who's dead uh, was the coordinator for a, for a mass shooting drill just the week before. And he also had had some involvement uh, in terms of that kind of school coordination or something of that sort. Um, did, didn't he, commit suicide afterward or am i mistaken in that i i i'm not sure that officer i had heard that but i'm not sure if it's yeah I, I don't i have to look in i heard something about that i'd have to double check 
because uh, I'm not going to assert that that is what happened because I don't actually remember that particular detail. But looking more and more at that, there, it's not what's normally done uh, for, for police officers. In, in fact, since and I think I mentioned it in, in the wake of that incident, since Columbine, police have had the standard that uh, you know a peace officer with a bullet in him is not a civilian with a bullet in them. And that's the policy that they've all signed, that they had all signed on to and what they're supposed to be following. The fact that they're all just kind of standing around like this, um, it, it, it's inexplicable unless it's an op, unless it's a drill. And they're getting orders from the top to do this. That's the only thing that I can possibly reconcile uh, in, the, in this particular you know, incident. And then you look at the aftermath. Biden shows up. You got Matthew McConaughey. Because he, he apparently grew up there, or something of that sort, and uh, you, so you got the Hollywood celebrities coming in. You got the president coming in. President's talking about sitting at church and some girl passing him a note, and then he reads what's on the note, and it's all written like an adult would write. There's something. That, this is. I think it's more than just an op on the side of the shooter that suddenly ends up with this massive, um, you know, ar- armory that uh, we can't afford. I think. I think it's it, it, it's on both sides. Yeah, and meanwhile, in uh, to contrast that, Elijah Dickin in Indiana constitutionally carrying a weapon within 15 seconds of a mass shooter event in a public place, he's able to fire 10 rounds from 40 yards out, striking the shooter eight times. That's incredible uh, accuracy for that distance in that environment within that amount of time. Um, one guy, one armed citizen. James was able to put down, meanwhile, 350 cops standing outside Uvalde doing precisely nothing. Yeah, that's absolutely tragic. And uh, to to Ryan's point, you know, having an officer there with uh, the ability to draw fire or actually having 370 something, you know, cops out there with the ability to draw fire, none of them looked, none of them looked around them to figure out how the math was going to add up. If we go in together at once, how much more chaos could there possibly be than what, what, what was already happening? You know, what's the mathematical equation of 370 something men going in and then coming out mathematically on top of the situation where there's just one shooter, you know? Uh, and then having this kid in, in Indiana you know, uh, hearing gun gunfire, quickly assessing the situation and taking out the perpetrator. You know, eight out of ten shots. It's pretty good. Pretty good from forty yards. That's pretty. Yeah, darn forty yards. Good. That's impressive. I don't know. I don't know that I could. I could, I could shoot that well. You know, forty. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Meanwhile, in Canada, you're not able to defend yourself uh, and service opportunities for them. Uh, or whether it's our most uh, recent initiative on uh, banning, uh, sorry, on freezing uh, the market for firearms, uh, which will uh, start moving us in the right direction. Over- he said the quiet part out loud, Brother Martin. Whoops. Banning. Oops. Freezing. I mean, freezing. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's very surprising that you had that many people who had ballistic shields, uh, you had uh, armor to protect themselves, not going in to save children, um, but you had one guy with, with nothing 
actually carrying a gun where supposedly you weren't supposed to be carrying a gun because you know they have the, the, the stickers on the front doors or the gun, this red circle with the line through it. To be honest, in a lot of places, that's really a suggestion, except for like federal buildings, school zones, all that kind of stuff. The gun with the red line is it's merely a suggestion. So, I mean, good on him for, for, for recognizing this. And, 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 and all these public places, these public places are always a target for these kinds of mass shooters or areas where people are defenseless, like, like in an elementary school. And so when you know you're going into a place that's so going to be crowded with human beings, like a, like a concert or a Fourth of July festival up in Chicago or, or something of the store, it's very smart to really to be prepared for something like this to happen because those are the situations that, that, that are targeted because as soon as one bullet is fired, everybody panics and, and you're, you're, the shooter's in control of the situation. Now, we, we pick on Texas a lot. I'm, I'm from there, brother. You're there right now. Ryan, you're speaking there in a couple months or a month or so. James, I, I don't know if you have ties to Texas. Let me just say this about Texas. Props to this woman who's pregnant, driving in the HOV lane, because she's like, there are two of us, baby. A pregnant Texas woman who got a ticket for driving in the HOV lane plans to fight it in court claiming she was not driving alone because her fetus should count as a passenger now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. I have always contended that my pregnant wife should drive in the HOV lane. I just, it doesn't matter if she has other children with her or not. That's, that's, you got two guardian angels with you right there. HOV is two plus people, right? In most places, some places it's three. Uh, Props to her. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, on the other hand, Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, she made her way, guys, I don't know if you saw this, she actually infiltrated one of these pregnancy centers. She says these places are dangerous, they need to be shut down, they need to be defunded, they are torturing women. She has the proof. Here she is. Elizabeth Warren here. I'm at one of these predatory, very scary pregnancy centers. We're going to see what's really going on here. We are going to shut this down, not just in Massachusetts. We're going to shut it down in the country and we're going to shut it down in the world. So this is it. This is where they, where they get you. It's like a Venus flytrap for pregnant people. It's all nice, all calm with the blues. And they catch you. They catch you. Do you see that? Women. Just what I thought. Free STD tests. I'm sorry. Free prenatal vitamins. I'm sorry. This is where people with the capability to have a fetus somewhere in their body are getting free sonograms. Do you know what this is? Do you know what they see in there? Do you know that they are more likely to stay pregnant once they see that thing on the screen. So this is where the talking happens, the counseling, the comforting, it's gonna be okay. Well, 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 adoption. Exactly what I thought. It's an outrage. Don't let the cushions fool you. This is where they torture people. This is where they keep all of their donations, baby and pregnancy supplies. Honestly, it's terrifying. Come look. Disgusting. Free clothes, free toys, free blankets, books, bags, diapers. Terrifying. Oh, I mean, yuck. See this? Free. It's a huge baby. See how they're making a mockery of my people? You see this?
You're okay. You're not going to you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. Okay, let's talk church news now, gentlemen. Uh, Two huge items that happened today. Two huge items. One in Germany, one in the United States. Let's go to Germany first, brother. Uh, Document comes out from Rome addressed to the German bishops. And it says, hey, uh, tell me if this is a rough translation here. Hey, guys, we know you want to redefine what it means to be married. We just don't think it's prudent that you do it now. Can you give us a year? Can you can you give us a more time to redefine it universally before you do it as yourself? I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying you're just a little too uh, cutting edge. Is that is that more or less what happened? Pretty pretty much. Um, the whole question is the, is the use of this. How is Francis using this? Um, because I've always thought that it, it helps his case to seem more moderate, especially for the, the huge neo neoconservative a group in the United States that has a lot of money. Um, if there's an ultra left wing group that, th- that he can use and manipulate to make him look like he's something more centered, something more rational. So th- when he rejects their radical agenda to make women uh, pastors of parishes, for instance, lay women pastors of parishes, he can reject that. And, and people can say, oh, look, he's conservative. He's against lay people being in charge of parishes. Wow. I mean, that, is that the low bar these days? Um, so that's, I think, two, two major things were, that came out of the uh, documents of the German bishops is one, he's, the German synodal way is not allowed to uh, require people to uh, obey their new order of governance. And then two, uh, the German synodal way is not, about, is, is not able to promulgate new doctrines, new doctrines, new teachings. Um, of course, with, with the state of Vicantis last week over on Twitter, we, we got really deep into uh, what it constitutes the doctrines that we have to obey and doctrines you have to get just a religious submission of will. Um, but that could be later on further developed. But obviously the German, the German bishops aren't uh, talking about uh, legitimate development of doctrine. They're talking about saying, giving gay couples blessings. That's, that's what they're really concerned about. And so Rome wants to say, you, you can't do that without uh, getting Rome's approval. But that's kind of not anything that's really out of the ordinary since we can't even start a religious community without uh, a traditional religious, religious community anymore without a Rome's approval. So it's, it could seem like just uh, it could seem something like really conservative saying, oh, hey, we want to protect the unity of the church. But it's in kind of a normal modus operandi for, for Rome right now to say, like, hey, you can't do anything new uh, until you get our approval. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are, you, what are you seeing in this situation, Ryan, in Germany, which are, uh, it's pretty obvious to me, it looks like they're basically in schism, but uh, I don't have the comp. I'm not a competent authority to actually declare that. It just appears that way to me. It is. Oh, we are now. Okay. I have a hard time seeing how it is that uh, the, the German, or at least the members of the German hierarchy pushing this thing, uh, are even still Catholic, frankly. When you look at the, what they've said, what they're they're pushing, what they're allowing in their diocese is just a, as a rule. And it's interesting how uh, the, the Pope's message to them, which you read, is being treated in the Catholic mainstream as a rebuke, when in fact it's really saying, hey, hey guys, just, just slow down. We're not ready to get there yet. Just, just a, a little bit, just a little bit more. And I also find it interesting that they're uh, there's, they're basically waiting for the full synodal process, which has already been pre-planned and pre-rubber stamped, just like every one of these synods they've done in the last few years, to come out with something. 
And then it'll be, oh, yeah, see, guys, now you can go ahead with it because we've considered that. And now we're going to make this for the whole church. Um, there's a, actually an interesting news item, I think, too, that that precedes this business with the Germans. And I think it tells us what direction we're going, uh, namely that so if you're following the Pontifical Academy for Life, which uh, has changed uh, quite a bit of membership. Yeah. And we didn't even we didn't get to it last week, but you're right. Yeah. So let me pull it up. Uh, actually, yeah, let me pull up uh, right now. Um, so this is their uh, their Twitter feed in here. This is from uh, a bit ago, uh, last last month, not this past Monday, the Monday prior, mm-hmm. um, where they are retweeting an article in the Jesuit magazine America that uh, is really interesting. I'll switch to that in a second. So this follows the presentation of, uh, let me see if I can find it. Here we go of their work on a theological ethic for life, essentially, which is a collection of a whole mess of essays on a number of situations in bioethics. And now whenever you hear bioethics, it doesn't matter if the person speaking has a Roman collar on or is supposedly a Catholic theologian or is a secular individual from some, some whatever. Bioethics is essentially eugenics. It is essentially how to allow crimes against human life and call it good. That's all bioethics is. It has nothing to do with anything in the Catholic, you know, tradition. And so whenever you see a Catholic theologian talk bioethics, run the other way because they're, they're either horribly deluded by bad teachers or they themselves have a perverse, you know, mind and will uh, uh, on the whole thing. So um, anyway, let's see, I'm not sure how to switch the tab. So I'm going to do it this way. There's one more now just for the, the quote. And I think it plays into the next bit in Louisiana is a nice connecting bridge for it all. Um, You're such a bridge builder, Ryan. I know, right? <laughs> uh, exactly. So this is the article in um, in America. Well, I'll go back up to the top so you can see it. So this is the article in America, birth control, IVF, IVF euthanasia, the Vatican encouraged dialogue on polarizing life issues. So we'll stop there. Polarizing. Where? Who is it polarizing to? It's polarizing to the modern world, to the eugenicists, and to... The people who basically have obeyed nothing since Humanae Vitae come out, but now scream obedience after Traditionis Custodes and Amoris Laetitia, right? It's, um, you know, they scream obedience the loudest, who are the most disobedient to Humanae Vitae, Veritatis Splendor, uh, Evangelium Vitae, et cetera, all these documents um, that have come out condemning the very things they're now saying we need a more nuanced approach to. Um, so let's... Uh, I had it highlighted uh, previously, I think, I, but I had to close the tab. So trying to find this, but they basically pull that Morris Letizia stuff in here yep. um, and say that two people, um, uh, I had it. Here we go. Both in the seminar and in the book, that is the book I showed you off the Pontifical Academy's uh, Twitter feed, both in the seminar and in the book, it is affirmed that a couple can make a wise choice, I'm putting that sneer quotes, by having recourse to contraceptive techniques, obviously excluding those that are abortive, which is impossible, by the way, for the most part, in situations where the conditions and practical circumstances would make it irresponsible to choose to procreate, unquote. Whether Pope Francis will endorse this position remains to be seen. Now, in this article, I'm not sure if it's down or if it's further down. Uh, they, they talk about the possibility of a papal encyclical that will come out 
Yes. And, and in that, that will echo this very line. And of course that is also that's just, that's oh, just predictive programming, Ryan. They're just telling us yeah. it's happening. Um, it's uh, anyway, so it's going to come out. And of course it, what's hilarious is it's like a lot of communist rethink. So this is all part of the 25th anniversary of Evangelium Vitae. And that mm -hmm. was a document of John Paul II, where he clearly echoes the whole tradition on the uh, on why uh, contraception is intrinsically evil. And now they're talking about because what they're doing is they're moving away from truth, objective, the objective reality of our actions and yeah. what they constitute. And they're moving entirely to the subjective uh, reality, which is, well, they, they just call it conscience, even though it's not anything about what the moral theological tradition identifies as conscience. And what's worse, if you look at the church fathers, they unanimously condemn birth control because people don't realize this. The Romans, the Greeks, they had birth control back then. Uh, they had all kinds of tonics and potions and plants that they knew were, and they knew the difference between abortifacient ones and non-abortifacient ones. And Galen actually, you know, talked, made those distinctions. There was a, he was a uh, Roman doctor, uh, Greek actually, but he served the emperor Marcus Aurelius and he was ba basically keeping his gladiators alive. And so, and he wrote a lot of treatises on medicine based on uh, you know a lot of the work he had done in that area. And so he delved deep into traditions about which plants will help keep you from getting pregnant, which plants will abort a fetus and, and so on and so forth. And they actually had, uh, you know, contraceptive, plant that they farmed out of existence because they brought reduced it to one strain and that got killed uh, one year and so they, they made this plant ex uh, cease to exist because uh, they so overused it. it was such a popular drug that they made the church fathers absolutely condemned it saint john chrysostom says that uh you know a man who uses uh contraception basically uh makes his father-in-law into a pimp mm-hmm you know, and, and they'll get, you know, further and worse from there. So it, the, the Catholic tradition and the fathers is clear. Let's look at the moral theologians again. Uh, it, it's pretty clear. There, there's not a dissenting voice in there until about oh, 1968. That's right. I, I miss that. I miss that level of clarity, too. And, and the way that the saints used to write. I mean, they were they were uh, pretty in your face and on the nose. Uh, James, can you blame the Germans for uh, for for doing what they're doing. I mean, they think they're fully justified. Uh, they think that the Pope has their back, that a encyclical is forthcoming, that this synod on synodality, emphasis on sin, uh, is going to produce exactly what they want. Oh, the, the Germans, in in theory, uh, are absolutely justified in what in what they're doing because they know this has been the climate for years and years to come. This is not something that just sprung up. You know, it's not a leak that just sprung up today. Uh, this has been going on for so many years, and uh, they've been given uh, the uh, tacit go-ahead by the Vatican for a number of years, even under, listen to these guys, even under Pope Benedict. Yes, you know, there's some friction, obviously, between Pope Benedict uh, and, and the bishops and the hierarchy in Germany, but it wasn't so great as, as uh, you know, or enough, I would say, for Benedict to put down his foot on Casper and, and all the others, you know, they've been out there for a while. They're not new. They, they came under prominence in uh, uh, JP2's reign. And so uh, Benedict knew, has known all, all this for a while. And so in a sense, you know, when you see them under Francis, uh, basically who's even more progressive than Benedict, uh, they, of course they're realizing, well, if we can get away with this under Benedict, of course we can get away with murder in broad daylight under Francis. Cause they know at least Francis in private probably agrees with their position. 
And, you know, where Francis, as uh, Ryan was saying, yeah, you know, well, Fran- uh, Francis might not want to seem as though he is against them in public, but Fulwell knows that you need to have somebody moving in this direction so that uh, you can say, hey, look, guys, I tried to stop it, but now I guess we just have to accept it. This is what they did with the uh, Dutch, uh, you know, uh, catechism and a few other things that came out in the in the early 70s, you know, with the altar girls and whatever it is. Hey, look, guys, we try to put a stop on it, but now we're just going to have to agree to do it. You know, the 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 uh, the altar service, altar service girls and, um, you know, uh, any other crazy notion out there that people now are saying communion in the hand is is a thing. But it didn't it didn't it wasn't always that that way. You know, you had to sort of let the leak happen so that you could say, look, guys, it's out there. We can't do anything about it. And then that becomes the norm with with time. And so this is kind of what I think the Germans understand. And they know that uh, Francis will have at least some sort of uh, tacit, you know, hey, look, we're going to remove you from the situation, Holy Father. So this is not going to be entirely on your shoulders. And he's and he's probably approving of that. This is my speculation, of course. I'm just a layman. What do I know? So uh, in addition to th- these developments that are happening today, also the Cardinal Archbishop of Washington, D.C., the African Queen, as he's so-called, uh, he has he's laid down new restrictions. Brother Martin, we'll go to you first. These restrictions are pretty draconian. It's being reported now in the Pillar. Pillar apparently had an advanced copy of these restrictions that are due out tomorrow. So this is breaking news brought to you, of course, by the rundown uh, in which – if you want to celebrate the Latin Mass in the Archdiocese of Washington going forward, you have to explicitly ask for permission in writing. You have to obtain permission in writing. You have to swear an oath to Vatican II. You have to say that Vatican II is a legitimate council and that the reforms, so-called, that happened after Vatican II, including the Bogus Ordo, the Vulgar Right, whatever you want to call it, uh, is a legitimate and, uh, and the unique expression of the Roman Rite, which is uh, uh, new language from Francis in his latest screed against uh, against all of us. And you have to reta- obtain this permission, Brother Martin, even for private masses, private masses in your basement with your mother and your grandmother and her lace. My goodness. And for two years, you know, I've been, I, I've been having this constant battle with even diocesan priests. You know, because it's like, oh, no, we'll just the only way to change the church is we've become diocesan priests and we hold out. And then later on, we bring back tradition because it's only going to be us and all that kind of stuff. Well, here you are. You have you won't even be able to say, you know, oh, I'm this base diocesan priest who celebrates mass privately and keeps tradition alive, all this kind of stuff. You're going to be forbidden to even do it privately, even privately. There's no way for you to actually develop and absorb to really have the traditional spirituality anymore. They're eliminating not only the mass, but the traditional spirituality, the traditional Roman rite. The spirituality, all of it, 100%, all of the, new, the spiritual nutrients that spirituality gives you, it's all gone. 100%. It's forbidden you. You're done. How can anybody in good conscience sign those documents, sign those papers, accept this new uh, experimental jab version of a spirituality called Vatican II, called the Novus Ordo, uh, for something that isn't, isn't certain to, to get people to heaven in the sense that the, the traditional Latin master true spirituality for centuries, over 1,960 years, has, has gotten saints to heaven, has, has sanctified people, uh, fallen human beings, has gotten them to heaven, has done the job. Why trade something that is so certain for something new and experimental, uh, banal, vulgar, all that kind of stuff, 
Why risk souls? To do so is not only to put your own soul into jeopardy, but to put other souls in jeopardy. Why, why would anybody think that they're, they're based and obedient in, in doing such a thing? It, it boggles my mind. But if you think Brother Martin would sign a, a paper like that, you're, 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 a, lunatic. you're a lunatic. You think Brother Martin would ever say that the, the Nova's Order is, is a legitimate form of the Roman right? You're, you're nuts. Um, I won't do it. There's speculation that the Institute of Christ the King in Chicago won't do it either. That was the paper that was put in front of them by Cardinal, uh, Cardinal Supic. Um, any, anybody worth, worth, worth your two cents, anybody worth uh, thinking is true, will, will have the courage to put their pensions on the line, to put their health insurance on the line, to put everything on the line, to start over scratch from new and to accept, really, to follow our Lord in, in poverty, not knowing what their future is going to hold precisely because they're holding fast to the truth. These are the people that you, sh- that you should follow, not people that are, that, that are going to say, it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm 40, 50 years old. I've, I've lived the majority of my, my life in this institution. I've got a nice pension. I've got, I've got a convent of nuns who need a chaplain, so I'm just going to go hide in my little corner and say, and say the mass there for the nuns. I mean, as far as we know, the nuns, nuns can be skizzy as well. And they, and can, they can be provided for as well. They don't have to be uh, or whatever to have a priest, but oh, I'll just, I'll just hide in my little nun's convent and we'll, and we'll say pre-55, we'll say pre-55. Okay, guys, it's, 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 it's crap or get off the pot now. It's, it's, I mean, the, the crap has hit the fan. We, we've got to fight to, 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 to preserve the tradition in its entirety, in tra- traditional spirituality, its liturgy, liturgical life, the bravery, not just the mass. It's not just about Sunday, Sunday mass where people show, you know, drive two hours to go to Sunday mass. They put on their veils. They, 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 they do their time for an hour and a half, and then they go home, and, and, and that's it. No, we need, we need daily mass, mass daily. We need first Fridays, first Saturdays. We need devotions. Uh, we need the divine office especially. Uh, a lot of people go to, go to mass on Sunday mornings, but we've completely lost the traditional practice. And Dom Garen Jay complains about this in the liturgical year, that we've completely lost the practice of Sunday Vespers in the parish. We've completely lost it. Why? Because nobody shows up. Nobody cares. We want to go, go to mass and do our brunch and then go home. Eh. We, we, don't, we don't do Sunday days. We do Sunday mornings. Um, and so it's, it's that kind of stuff that we need to recover. And we have the opportunity to recover even now. Uh, but we've we got to break away from the mentality that, oh, we need the bishop's permission. We don't need the bishop's permission to pray. We don't need the bishop's permission to be Catholic. That should be already assumed. If the bishop wants to keep uh, us from being Catholic, then he should be disobeyed because uh, we can't. The bishop has no authority to lead us to hell. None. And so, yes, it's, it's the draconian measures. Okay, so I'm just wondering if you have like a if you have a strong opinion or not about. <laughs> I just I don't know. Um, let's let's go ahead. Let's bring Ryan and James into this particular discussion as well because this is spiritual abuse. Um, uh, this is uh, you know if if this were related to secular government, James, in my opinion, this would be unconstitutional behavior, right? So you wouldn't you wouldn't have to obey. Uh, you know, uh, an archbishop who is telling you to do something that is illegal, that is, that is beyond his, his capabilities, his power, his, his, his aptitude. Um, sort of similar to if a bishop tells you you have to show up to mass wearing a pink bunny suit or wearing a piece of cloth on your face, uh, that you don't really have to obey either one of those things because it's beyond the power of a bishop to compel you to do. A little more dicey when you're a cleric, though, right? I mean, don't you aren't you supposed to be obedient in all things but sin? So how do we slice this, slice and dice this, and and what do we do for you know the priests in the archdiocese of of DC? You used to live there, lots of traditional priests there. Now only restricted to a but a few locations on Sundays, and it can't be the high feasts, not Easter, not Christmas, not Corpus. 
you know, those have to be bogus ordo. The rest of them are 1962, not even pre-55. This is pretty draconian. Yeah. Yeah. And guess what? No weddings, no uh, sacraments, no baptisms, no weddings. Um, you know, it's a it's, it's a real shame. And you, you're absolutely right. L- having lived in D.C., I, I know very many traditional families um, who are benefiting from the abundancy of uh, the mass that happens out there. And now to have to reduce the number of masses, the number of locations, and at that, you know, a slap on the face would be, let us know if you're requesting this mass to be said, let us know exactly where you're saying it, uh, and uh, let us know how frequently you you will be saying this. This is absolutely, if if people living in that uh, archdiocese cannot see exactly this and cannot see exactly what this means, you know, then there's a poverty there that needs to be addressed. You know, this is a huge um, uh, wake-up call, as Brother Martin was saying. It's who, which master are you going to serve? If you're a clergy, which master are you going to serve? If you're faithful, which master are you going to serve? You know, of course, it's okay. of course, you know, in Catholic times, it's okay. It's 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 a beautiful thing. It's Catholic to actually listen to your Catholic bishop. But what happens when your Catholic bishop is not a Catholic bishop, but is instead serving a different master, you know, to have a, a, a bishop who says, I'm going to ignore all the problems in my diocese that are rampant. I'm not going to control those poor board, those pro uh, LMNOP legislators in my archdiocese, but instead I'm going to attack faithful Catholics in my archdiocese. It's time to sort of wake up and realize that this person that you're serving is not is not there for your sanctification or for the sanctification of your family. You know, this is a, a time we need to look in the mirror. We need to wash our faces and gird our loins. Okay. You know, so we're not going to go down as people who just said, well, you know, the Bishop said so. So this is what we're going to have to do. You have to stand behind those priests and encourage those priests. This, they're going to need help. They're going to need help. Yes, but they're going to be pointed at. They're going to be targeted. They're going to be tar and feathered in, in public by the archdiocese. What are you going to do out there? to support those priests because they need to hear you say, we support you, right? Because some priests are just going to need your, your help to realize that they have to go to their loins. What did those seminarians do to Archbishop Lefebvre? He was already retired. He, he was, he saw the writing on the wall. He said, well, I'm, I'm out of here. What did those seminarians do? They went to his door, they knocked on his door and they said, we need you. Okay. So if you're in DC, you're going to have to knock on the doors of those rectories and tell your priests, we need you. Otherwise, our families, show them pictures of your families, show them pictures of those kids that are going to have to be tormented now by not getting, you know, uh, uh, you know, those two exorcisms and, and the baptism. You know, this is what they want to take away from us. You know, the sacraments, as we know it, have changed since 1970, you know, and they want you to participate in that when you know, looking at it, looking at the text, the text, this is less efficacious than the way this was done before. Why should I participate in this? My yourself, your wife, your kids, your unborn children. Okay, there's a big mess here, and they, we need to stand up for what is right. And if you imagine that you'll just stand in front of Cardinal Gregory Ryan and show him a picture of your family, specifically in his letter, he lays out a counter evangelization campaign. You're allowed to attend the 1962 form of the Mass on non-high feast Sundays where acceptable and where it's in writing and you have to beg. 
uh, and and plea and affirm the legitimacy of the 21st uh, so-called Vatican Council. Uh, but Ryan, it specifically says that the pastor is supposed to counter-evangelize you, to take you out of the Latin mass, to convince you that you're holding on to something that is bygone era, that is false nostalgia, and you're supposed to get on board by May of 2023. If you look at all the language that, uh, oh, they've got to be pastoral. We had a listening section session with our synod of synodality and and talked to many of these people and saw how many are so faithful and and good people and they're, they're lauding all these people at their diocesan TLMs, right? And talking about we got to be pastoral and pastoral outreach. But then you look at what they're trying to do. What they're trying to do looks like the tactics that you use to marginalize, persecute, uh, demoralize, and show the un- your, your displeasure to a group. Um, punish them, essentially. So what, what they're doing is not in any way uh, pastoral or... You know, or what have you? It's it's the exact opposite. So again, the, the kind of double speak that you always see in communism, and that you always see in these types of uh, you know totalitarian regimes, that you know they're basically they're preaching at you. They're not preaching the gospel to you. They're preaching at you. you're going to do it my way or nothing else. And you have to ask. Let's see. We have a sex abuse crisis in the church, where various prelates, most of whom uh, Cardinal Gregory is connected to in one way or the other, that all go back to McCarrick. Uh, it was a serial abuser in the church. Number one, uh, you have all of that kind of filth going on. You have heresy in in, in so many places. You have open support of uh, LGBT QWERTY, whatever. Uh, not not is in we're going to be pastoral these people and help them get to heaven and 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 do our best to help them with whatever it's we're going to allow them to sin and call it good which again you know you really hate them if you're doing that but all of these things are going on and it's pretty you know denial of scripture denial of um you know so many heresies that are coming out in every every way uh, denial of church. You got priests who sit around and, oh, it's my day off. I'm going to sit here and watch TV. I'm not answering hospital calls. And you got people dying in vain looking for a priest. And that traditional priest is the only one who shows up, day off or not. Oh, we can't have that. Why? That's, that's so rigid and schismatic and and, and just, no. And, and we could go on and on and too about all those types of things. And, and like, and I, I usually persist from questions about Vatican II. I'm just not interested in entering that kind of rabbit hole. But it's demonstrable. It is historically and documentably. Uh, you can document. It. You can d- demonstrate from A to Z how the principles of liturgical reform in Vatican II, at least any any that are you know in, in consonant with the tradition, right, uh, are not reflected in the mass that is that we call the Novus Ordo or the Roman Rite of 1970, or whatever you want to call it. I, I question whether it's part of the Roman Rite, but anyway, uh, it, it's, again, you want me to say black is white, red is blue, up is down, that uh, this is it. And, and then, of course, you impose this kind of loyalty oath. It's like, so wait, so I can't have legitimate uh, discussion about Gaudi Metzbez? I can't have a legitimate uh, a discussion about questionable things in Nostra Aetate? Um, that at least appear 
at variance with the tradition. I can't have uh, questions about this. Nope, you got to give me loyalty. Every last thing that we tell you, you have to believe. And in so many things, it's the way that they have drafted it. Another little interesting tidbit in that document that, uh, at least in the, the reporting by the pillar, is they're demanding all priests say mass out orient, or that there's no out orientum celebration. Wait a minute. Vatican II said nothing about the priest facing the people like Protestants. Absolutely nothing. And yet that is the thing they demand all the time. And they call it one of the most discernible fruits of Vatican II. It's not even mentioned in Vatican II. But hey, we're going to move along anyway. Because ultimately, again, is why I'm, I'm not terribly interested in debates about Vatican II one way or the other. Because ultimately Vatican II means what they have decided it means, regardless of what it says in the letter. Because you look at it, I, I think trads are more faithful to Vatican II than anyone. Who's got Gregorian chant as the proper music of the liturgy? Who, you know, we're has a liturgy where all the people know how to say and sing their parts of the mass in Latin. Who has a liturgy where the priests say the bravery in Latin? All of those things are commanded by Vatican II. And it's only the trads that do it. And to the extent where there even are Vespers in, in uh, Sunday Vespers, which yeah. Vatican II also called for, it's in a trad church and very rarely in a Novus Ordo church. And of course, it's not in all trad churches, which it was. But so we go on. This is a document that is it basically wants you to deny reality, to call up, down, and to accept your, the the destruction of your spiritual life around the liturgy that you have grown you know, accustomed, that the priest right. has grown accustomed to celebrating, and right. that you can only celebrate it like it's this toxic, dangerous thing that you have to sign special permissions before using, because it is dangerous to modernism. Now, this is, uh, of course, now we're seeing it from the two leading prelates in the United States, or two of the top prelates, Red Hats, right? Uh, Cardinal Archbishop of Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Cardinal Archbishop of Chicago, uh, picking on the Institute of Christ the King, which we talked about last week. Okay. Quick programming note, the Rundown has its own YouTube channel. You're watching it now. You're one of the five to 7,000 people that are going to watch this thing but you haven't subscribed because your eyes have glazed over, especially with these long questions that I tend to ask. And, and if you haven't subscribed, you're wrong. You need to get on board with the subscription. Guys, we got a grip. Ryan, there was no notice. On the grifting segment, but here we are. What here are we are. What am I grifting? Let's see. This month in the book club, um, I've been holding on to this one for a long time. The life of the venerable Anne of Jesus, and she—it's uh, basically if you've read the autobiography of Saint Teresa of Avila, if you know the life of Saint Teresa, this is the sequel, more or less. She's the disciple of Saint Teresa of Avila. She brought. Um, the 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 Descal's Carmelite ordered to France and the Netherlands, um, but this isn't just a, a biography; it's also a, a spiritual biography of her holy life and how she uh, came to do all the things that she did. Uh, really impressive uh, biography, all in all. It is the only uh, work in English on this saint, the only one, and uh, we have it. And as uh, Mike alluded to earlier, I will be in uh, Irving, Texas at uh, Mater Dei Parish in, in Irving, Texas. And I'll be in, uh, it hasn't been announced there yet because I've been so busy with moving. I haven't made the flyers for them, but it'll be on August 19th. Is that right? Let me uh, look at the calendar real quick. Um, 
do, 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 do. Yes, Friday, August 19th and Friday uh, and Saturday, August 20th. I will be speaking on St. John Fisher and St. Thomas More. So I have these up and I mentioned uh, I put a sale up because of the uh, anniversary of their martyrdom. And uh, that sale is still ongoing. So here, excellent uh, you know, biographies of St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher. The only in-depth biography on John Fisher in print, at least in the English language. And uh, so I will be speaking on both the saints and on the, the tyrannical King Henry VIII and you know, how he came that way and some of the, the politics. And I, I'd like to you know, show a lot of the documents that are the basis of my research, which are scans of documents from the British Library and from the Bodleian and from other places, the manuscripts that uh, break down and their import and the importance. And so if you, um, so it's not just me up there rambling you know, for a little while. It's me up there rambling with a nice PowerPoint, nice pictures, and there'll be refreshments and, um, and I'll be grifting books afterwards. So. If uh, you want to do that, more information will be available hopefully by early next week um, and, and on the bulletin boards down at Modern Day, and I'll put something up on Twitter that you can follow. And lastly, I want to thank uh, everybody that uh, has given me special donations. I do very much appreciate it. It's been an incredible help. Uh, we got a wonderful package this week from a listener in Ireland and um, an another gift uh, from someone else. And so I don't have them in hand, so I will eventually get thank you notes going. So and I like to get thank you notes done right away. And I, I've been usually I'd, I've been doing the bare minimum to keep your books going out to you. So I haven't really been able to sit down and do that uh, as soon as things calm down. And at least uh, my family's all settled in where we're going to go for a while until the house is put down. We'll uh, finally sit down and start getting some thank you notes written. So but I do want to thank especially everybody who sent uh, donations are very kind to you. Again, I don't ask you to part from your hard-earned money unless you feel like God's asking you to do it, but I do invite you to come to mediatrexpress.com. And if you've been holding off on uh, purchasing this or another book, uh, please, you know, consider now is the time to buy it. All right. As Mike mentioned earlier, uh, right now I'm down in Texas because every, every summer I try to make some rounds to, uh, some benefactors, and then also to those who are discerning the Obelisk of St. Augustine. Um, because sometimes it can be difficult for people to make a trip up to, to where we are, and so I make a trip down to them to explain to them who we are and, and to meet me personally and all that kind of stuff. Um, so as you know, as you can see, then we're, we're growing. Um, things are going well. Um, as, as we continue to grow, though, you know that, that with more people in the community, uh, expenses get also rise, whether it just be with food and other things like that, but also education, since we want uh, a very good, solid, incredible formation for, for our candidates and, and for future Obelisk of St. Augustine, uh, we also need to, to uh, bear the expense of their formation. And so uh, if, you, if it's on your heart, you can visit www.obelisofstaugustine.com slash giving um, and help give to, to our project of, of preserving the traditional Augustinian charism and the traditional Latin mass uh, to those who, who are close by us. <laughs> Oh, there we go. All right. Um, I was going to talk about something interesting to me. I, I don't know how many of you out there have already seen this, but uh, there's a website called uh, keepthefaith.org. Uh, and uh, they started uh, publishing uh, an app. Now, you can get this app uh, the same way you get your, your apps. Uh, you can kind of see it on, see it on the screen here. Uh, these, these are the things they have to offer. You can see they have apologetics. They have talks on Fulton Sheen. Uh, current affairs, 
Uh, basically, the, the topics here go from Catholic action, church history, uh, church teaching, communism, education. They even talk about uh, traditionalism, which is a huge theme around that uh, website itself, or rather the app. Um, and you get various talks from, uh, you know, very key, very uh, many key figures uh, you you would probably recognize, including John Rao, uh, John Venari, Michael Davies, Michael Matt, Fulton Sheen, Thomas Stark, Alice von Hildebrand, and a host of other uh, various traditionalist uh, luminaries. Uh, you know, this is something that I find very useful, especially when I'm traveling. You know, often you're trying to look for things you can listen to and uh, you're you know, perhaps not in a position to uh, find such things. And this app basically puts everything uh, that you would you would need um, at your fingertips. Basically, you can see talks on uh, Aquinas, on, uh, you know, the myth of uh, spiritual freedom and things of that nature. Um, very, very, very many interesting topics. And uh, this is something that you can get for free. Uh, you just download this on your phone. Uh, and if you're like me, I travel a lot and sometimes I'm traveling, uh, and it's just nice to have something like this at my fingertips. And I, I hope, uh, you can download this. It's called keepthefaith.org, but the, um, the app itself, if you go to keep the faith, uh, in the app store, this should pop up. It should be, a, a an image, I think of the sacred heart and you'll know it right, right away when you, you, uh, you pull it up, um, various, various, uh, People have already been uh, telling me how great this has been for them since they got this. So this is a good resource for everybody. Um, you should definitely look into it and uh, let me know what you think. Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys, it's time for our unpopular opinion. Every week we give an unpopular opinion. We try to tell you the thing that is objectively most unpopular. Ryan puts it out on Twitter. You vote for it. Uh, people misunderstand democracy because it's elusive and stupid. Uh, but you're supposed to vote for the thing that makes you upset, angry, want to throw the computer. You say, I don't want to hear that. It might be true, but I don't like it. And if you agree with everything, then try to take yourself and put yourself into the body of a normie. Not a normie cat meower or, or anything like that. Just, just a, a typical normie, a bogus wardite. And say, what would I not want to hear? Looks like uh, here's a poll. I haven't won in a while, and I'm really happy. I won last week. Cowardice and betrayal are hiding behind prudence. Um, so, oh, that's a that's a convincing victory too. I mean, double, double. Uh, Vonday Radio, who uh, came in second. Oh no, hold on, Brother Martin came in second. Anyway, uh, that's the poll for last week. It goes out on Twitter. We need to get more votes because honestly, 118 votes is not a huge sample size. Unless it's everyone who is, you know, owns property and, and all that. In which case, it's uh, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> uh, but let's let's do the unpops this week. Ryan, you are up. Okay, I am up. So you will remember, perchance, the uh, George W. Bush years. And during the George W. Bush years, there was the... Uh, the joke, you couldn't say nuclear, it said nuclear, right? And it would always do obnoxious things to make himself look pretty stupid. And uh, you have lots of jokes on the, you know, from the left. Oh, look how stupid he is. But in actuality, behind the scenes, he was actually pretty sharp. You know, at least as, as a political actor, at least in a, a number of you know, calculating things, he actually could say nuclear perfectly fine in, in, in private. It was part of a shtick. It's part of an act. In the same way, 
my unpopular opinion is that Biden isn't actually as senile as he seems, that most of it is an act, that the, the careful reveals of things like holding a card, telling him to sit and only greet this one person and talk to this person, right, that they purposely show in a photo when, when they purposely manipulate every last thing that you see. Um, even the things like falling off the bicycle and whatnot, I'm convinced that these things are all part of building up this, this impression of senility that is far more exaggerated than what it actually is, that Biden actually does have a little bit of coherence to him and that this is done to distract, divide, get you focused on one thing because it's just like what politics is a lot like watching a magic show. What does the magician want you doing? It's a lot of working with your hands. Professional rhetorician is the same thing because they want you looking over here and not at what's going on over here. And so, again, I, I think that, you know, Biden's senility is far over exaggerated in order to distract us from the real things that are going on. Wow. OK, that's, that's a pretty good one. I like it. Brother Martin. So with all the, the suppression of traditional Latin mass going around and, and the Institute of Christ King, a lot of people have hit Twitter saying, oh, everybody should just join the SSPX. Everyone should, join, should just join the SSPX. Well, my unpopular opinion is not that the SSPX isn't all that great or whatever. Everybody loves I mean, Archbishop Lefebvre and everything they've done has been great. Their work um, is, is tremendous. So, we, I mean, we don't fault the SSPX for that, uh, anything for that. But the reality is, I mean, they being, being an institution, being, uh, being – um, an entity they just don't have i don't believe that, that they have the ins- infrastructure to either take in immediately all the priests from all the different communities that will that will want to, c- to continue celebrating the traditional latin mass but then also provide for the laity everywhere that they need it so uh the the in- ssps cannot be the only skizzy community that everybody uh trusts we want to trust i mean in, in our lives you have so many crazy things going on that it's nice to have an institution that we don't have to worry about whether or not they're Catholic or whether or not they're, whether or not they're not. We can be secure and say that, that, that they believe the true faith. And so we can worry about other, other hectic things in our lives. And so we want that security. Um, but the reality is I think we need to expand that there are going to be other communities uh, that can be trustworthy, just like the SSPX, um, to give us a traditional faith and to give us valid sacraments and all that kind of stuff, that not everybody has to run to the SSPX to find their credibility. I mean, our credibility is simply in the truth that we quote the, from the uh, Catechism of the Council of Trent, from the Church Fathers, and, and, and from the Holy Popes. That's that's where credibility comes from, not from being affiliated uh, to an institution. Uh, so that's my unpopular opinion. It's the SSPX cannot be the only uh, skizzy group. All right. Love it. This is going to be competitive this week, James. I hope you brought your A game for your unpopular opinion. <laughs> my A game. We'll see. Um, so here's something that's very interesting. So we're talking about, and this is quite timely because uh, we were discussing this early on this week. And um, now that uh, Archbishop uh, Wilton uh, Gregory is planning on putting out a statement tomorrow on uh, further restrictions on the Latin mass, uh, there are people who go, who are going to be looking for private exemptions. Now I, I have a problem with private exemptions in the sense that it shows that you're willing to play the game. Uh, and it's not a game on a level of, well, I haven't really said anything or done anything. I'm just sort of using words to obf- obfuscate my own intention here. 
you know, so that he doesn't come down hard on us. But basically, what what is at stake right now is uh, capitulating to the point where you're saying, um, I I will sign something that tells that that says that I believe in this or I believe in that. You know, I I believe the Norisoto is is the uh, the only form or the uh, normative form of the Roman rite and things of that extent. You know, so I I believe people who are going to be looking for these exemptions should, should take a step back, you know? So right now is not a time for us to be looking, well, you know, I want my priest to have a, an exemption. I don't want to, I don't want him to be the attention or mm-hmm. grabbing the attention, you know, in a way that is negative so that the Bishop pulls the rug from under him. You know, this is a point now in time where we should be standing up and it's not popular because people want to, people want to have, well, you know, we don't want to know the, the dirty details of what's happening. You know, we just, we just know we're getting our mass. Right. And bro- brother actually alluded to this uh, early on. We're just we're getting on mass. We don't want to know what, what the dirty details are. But I, I think it's time to sort of strip all that out, out of, you know, out of sight. So my unpopular opinion is and people people don't like this, but my unpopular opinion this week is waiving a private exemption is like waving a vax card. And what does the vax card do? What does it say about you? It says that you, you capitulated in some form to to get something that tells you to have your freedom to participate in society. So you can't have a card that tells you, here's your freedom to to participate in what the church has always told us is good and efficacious for souls. You cannot have that card. Okay. Think about this guys, you know, unpopular as it is, you cannot say, I want my priest to hold this vax card because this basically says, you want your priest to beg for the authority to do what the church has always said is good. Wow. And for souls. Wow. Okay. I haven't talked a lot on this episode. I'm going to play you a quick video as a segue for my unpopular opinion, because I'm trying to win this week guys. And it's stiff competition. There will come a time when you have to choose yourself. If you had toxic parents, they encouraged you to choose them. They were constantly rushing you around, trying to get you ready and get you out of the house. And it was, and to get you like on the honor roll and to get you achieving so that it would reflect well on them. When are you going to choose you? This man hates the family and he hates your parents. Um, This man uh, loves children and specifically wants to pervert them. This is the state of our society. We live in a society that labors under the weight of usury, the weight of uh, every single perversion being now celebrated and in the administration. And yet we still have people who propose the solution to all these things being libertarianism. My unpopular opinion this week is that libertarianism is gay. Literally, it's gay. Libertarianism is the improper solution to the problems that our society faces these days because the fact of the matter is that people like this pervert do not deserve freedom. They deserve the opposite of freedom. This man deserves to be locked up and removed from society. Libertarians say that there's a marketplace of ideas and that the best idea will rise to the top. That is simply wrong. That is a fallacy because, as we know, one bad apple spoils the bunch. You cannot give rights to error, and that's precisely what libertarianism proposes to do. Many traditional Catholics 
pretend to be libertarians, uh, but they sort of are ashamed of the fact that most libertarians are pro-drugs, pro-fags, and pro-everything else uh, that the Catholic Church and our faith is antithetical to. So the fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot support and endorse libertarianism. That's an Enlightenment philosophy. And it may have worked for some period of history in these United States when most people were moral. We were never a Catholic nation, despite what Dubrow and his skateboard tells you. But we were more or less a moral people. We're no longer a moral people. The rundown has demonstrated that to you with wanton violence randomly happening throughout the United States. The poverty uh, that strikes everybody because of usury, because of class warfare, because of the World Economic Forum and communism. So libertarianism is not a solution to communism and it's not a solution to a people that are not only amoral, but immoral. The only solution to immoral people is a minority rising up, a minority, a great awakening. The only way to have a great awakening is to have a violent, potentially, minority of traditional Catholics who say we have to have a strong man reimpose and recatechize these United States. And it has to be that way, ladies and gentlemen. It's, we're not going to vote our way out of, uh, out, of, out of tyranny. We're not going to comply our way out of tyranny. We're not going to tax ourselves out of pro- into prosperity. The only way to do this is the uncomfortable way. And until and unless we accept that, libertarianism is not going to be uh, the way. So that is. I'm gonna send him to outer space to find another race. He's a libertarian. That's a libertarian. He likes to smoke the dope, the doobie. The the Rastafarian, right? Right. (laughs) Solid opinions all around. This week's gonna be tough. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see, guys. We'll see. I, if we can encapsulate all that, I, here's what I propose we do. If I can find the time, I need to cut out our unpops and, and upload that as a separate video. I think people would like that. Would you like I mean, that? Yeah. We, we could even post the unpops yeah. on, on Telegram. I think there's a way to put polls on Telegram, too. Yeah. That would be great. I yeah. got on the back end on YouTube here. I could post one here, too. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Next time, I'm actually going to do a screen capture while we're uh, – on the chat here. Oh, see, that works. That way I don't have to go into Adobe. I don't have to render the file. It's 700 megs, you know, (laughs) out of room. Yeah. Yeah, Well, hey, Mike, it's only 700 megs because you go on for like five minutes every time. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like, well, it's the end of the show. And I'm like, I haven't said anything. I've just asked questions. I got to say something. All right, guys, uh, this is another rundown in the books. This is our 17th episode on our new channel. Be sure to subscribe. God bless you. And to tickle your ears, two minutes of Alan Keyes debating Barack Hussein Obama as the outro. Mr. Keyes, on the Channel 7 debate last Thursday night, you, you said, and I'm quoting you, where procreation is in principle impossible, marriage is irrelevant. You went on to say it was irrelevant and not needed. What about marriage between people who are well beyond their childbearing age? Irrelevant? Not needed? No, no, simply a misunderstanding. The word in principle means relating to the definition of, not relating to particular circumstances. So if an apple has a worm in it, the worm is not part of the definition of the apple. It doesn't change what the apple is in principle. Uh, so the fact... It retains its apple. Can I, can I, it retains... It re, no, it retains... Uh, to, to act as if concepts are laughable means that you want to be irrational. Human beings reason. You said it was irrelevant. Human beings reason by means of concepts and definition. We also make laws. 
by means of definitions. And if you don't know how to operate with respect for those definitions, you can't make the law. An individual who is impotent or another who is infertile does not change the definition of marriage in principle. Because between a man and a woman in principle, procreation is always possible. And it is that possibility which gave rise to the institution of marriage in the first place. As a to matter of law, it's still me, as a matter of law possible and in principle. But when it is impossible, as between two males or two females, you're talking about something that's not just incidentally impossible, it's impossible in principle. Uh, and that means that if you say that that's a marriage, you are saying marriage can be understood in principle apart from procreation. You have changed its definition in such a way as, in fact, to destroy the necessity for the institution. Since the only reason it has existed in human societies and civilizations was to regulate, from a social point of view, the obligations and responsibilities attendant upon procreation. Uh, so when you start playing games in this way, you are actually acting as if the institution has no basis independent of your own art.